This is Jane Smith reporting for WASP News. We report so you don't have to decide. Now, we're live outside of Sovereign Studios, where a protest has been taking place. Uh, sir, sir, what is going on here? We're going to put an end to his godless hedonism. He's corrupting the entire planet. Uh, you must be talking about the golden stallion of the tech world, Brian Sovereign. That's right. That sex fiend of an anarchist has crossed the line. We're going to rip his triple black clothing and then him to shreds. But Brian Sovereign believes in nonviolence. We don't care. He wants to end government and wants to pervert science and technology to do it. Brian Sovereign has to be stopped. This just in. Brian Sovereign is coming out of the studio. Stallion, the man of tomorrow, Savzu, the man that some have called. Well, of course, there's always the rated R radio star, baby. But the man of son have called. Some have called Savel. <laughs> Ooh, we'll be talking about that a little bit later. But you know, actually, I got an email. This is this is so sweet. I got an email. I get I get emails from parents. Sometimes they say their kids listen to the show. I go, holy shit. Okay, all right. I'm not going to tell you how to parent, but woo, woo. Mm. Uh, anyway, <laughs> this one. This, this one dad said his son asks, you know, he, he saw some guy wearing, wearing a Superman shirt with the big S on it on the front. And, and the son asked, does that stand for sovereign or stallion? <laughs> of course it doesn't, it doesn't help that, that, uh, one of the classic sovereign tech logos in some ways bears a, a, a resemblance, um, to the, to, you know, to the, the house of L logo, uh, from, from Superman, uh, which of course, if you want to wear that yourself, you can just go to store.sovereigntech.com. And I have all t-shirts that have that logo on it. The whole thing, people love them. People wearing them all the time. I love it. it, it people look so sexy and fantastic. Uh, yeah, but, you know, please feel free to avail yourselves to, uh, to, to some of that merchandise for the show. Uh, anyway, whoo, we've got a, a very unique episode um, this week. There, it, it's going to be different. I, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to spend a good while talking about a tool of the week. Probably going to get into things that I didn't plan on getting into. But anyway, I, I something I want to I talk about, totally tech-related, that I think has some very interesting bearing on a lot of things. And then I have a triple header that I am going to deliver to you, a triple header of movie reviews. We've got, in the past two days, 
Okay, I'm recording this on December 2nd, 2017. In the past two days, I went and saw Justice League, saw it Friday night, and then I saw Thor Ragnarok. And before that, I watch, and this is going to be a big part of the show, uh, my experience in just trying to watch the film, not actually watching the film, but in trying to watch it. Uh, the, I, oh boy, I watched the, the, the extended edition of the 78 Superman, which just came out on Blu-ray, uh, a couple weeks, a few weeks ago. Um, and the extended edition is three hours and eight minutes long. I mean, this is, a, you know, there's like 40 extra minutes in this film. So I will be reviewing all three of those. Again, there's a point to a lot of it. Okay. And I know how much people love, I get so many requests to do movie reviews, some of which I need to get to, uh, here in the future. But I saw, I saw this triple header and it's so perfect. Like they, like it's such a great time to review all three of those together, uh, that I want to do that. So anyway, uh, yeah, unique show. We're going to get into a couple little tech stories here and then we'll, we'll break right into my tool of the week, uh, that I want to, I want to, uh, describe. And if you want to find the tool of the week, when I talk about it, of course, link is in the show notes, um, for it. it and it, it's actually, it, it's a media player software, which you don't get to, tell, you know, you don't talk about new media player software too often. So anyway, um, yeah, let, let's, <laughs> cause it's totally free too. That's the amazing. It's free as to where the software for what I wanted to use it for usually costs hundreds of dollars. So you probably want to hear about that anyway. All right, let's, uh, let's talk about a couple of interesting little, little stories. This is a story that kind of, that hits a little, little close to home, uh, in a way. So my, my dad, who has a background as an engineer, um, he actually had the great pleasure of working on the, and, and I, I mean this, I look, I'm an anarchist. I don't care for the government, whatever, but you know, the government is involved in some fields where they make it that they're the only thing like that. You have to work with them if you want to work in that field. One of those areas, at least years ago, not so much true anymore with, you know, what, what Musk and Bezos are doing, um, was, you know, the space, you know, was going, it was outer space. If you wanted to deal in outer space, you pretty much had to work for NASA, you know, if, if you're in the West, uh, or you didn't, you know, I mean, that, that's, that's a very, I, I think that that's pretty much a fact. Okay. So my dad, that's when I, when I say it's a pleasure, I mean it, you know, my dad, he, you know, he helped out with, with the Voyager program and this, just this week. Okay. This story is, is actually from the first of December. Okay. So just yesterday, uh, amazingly after 37 years, NASA fired up, uh, Voyager one's trajectory thrusters after 37 years, the last time they fired those babies off was in 1980 when it was going around Saturn. I think it was, uh, just remarkable. It took something. So, I mean, understand. So Voyager one right now, 21 billion kilometers away. You don't have to do the conversion into miles. That's a fucking long way away. (laughs) Okay. I mean, it's, it's effectively like our first extrasolar, uh, uh, object now. And, Let's see. So yeah, that, that adds up to about like 140 times the distance between the earth and the sun. I mean, that, that's, that's how much we're talking about here. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it, it is the baby it's out there. It took for them to, so they sent the command to see if those, if, if it's trajectory thr- thrusters would actually fire up. Um, they sent the command. It went, it took 19, it took like 20 hours. I think it was 19 hours, 35 minutes. It took like 20 hours to send that command out. And then it took them another 20 hours. So this took over like, you know, over the past week, it took another 20 hours to hear back from Voyager one. If the trajectory thrusters actually fired and motherfucker, they did. 
So I think the company that designed them, Aerojet Rocketdyne. Now, understand that Voyager 1 has been using its, I mean, like there's a certain trajectory that it needs to be on to be able to continually communicate with Earth. Okay. And it's mainly been using its primary thrusters to stay on that trajectory. But, you know, yeah, this thing's been out there since when did it, when did it launch? 1977? Um, or yeah, I think, I think that was, that, that was 77. And so, the, you know, these things start to fail over time or, you know, what degrade, uh, in, in perhaps efficiency and things like this. And so the idea was, is that, you know, NASA thought, Hey, if we could squeeze a few more years out of this remarkable thing that we made and yes, folks, Voyager one is quite real and it's out there. Um, <laughs> so is Voyager two or, you know, Voyager two is, was quite real as well. Um, you know, they thought, well, how about we use the trajectory thrusters to, you know, as a backup to to keep this thing in position so that we can keep communicating with it. And they didn't know if it would work. I mean, because, again, these things haven't been fired in, you know, shy of 40 years. And man, they sent the command and boom, away it goes. And, and we're still getting data amazingly. And now Voyager 1 can at least stay in line with, uh, you know, communications with Earth for at least three or four more years. Uh, I think that that's, that's incredible. Uh, it's an absolute credit to human ingenuity. Uh, it's insulting when people try to say that, Oh no, no, that didn't happen. No humans can really do amazing things when they, uh, work together. Um, I, I know a lot of stories uh, about, you know, what things were like with the Voyager program. And I mean, it's just, it's incredible the shit that was going on and, and the engineering feats that those guys were, were pulling off. And, uh, I mean, really my dad like carried on those, those engineering feats. In fact, a company, um, that he ended up working for that I also worked for, um, not, not directly under him, but they had, they had, what was called the can do award, <laughs> which was literally a, a can of Mountain Dew put on a placard, you know, on, on, like on a, on a, on a stand and it was called the can do award. And it, you know, this company would, would give it out as, um, you know, for, for miraculous feats in engineering. I mean, look, I mean, the, the people that, that NASA had at the time were, and I'm not saying it's cause it was my, you know, my dad was involved, but I mean, it was just it was, it was tremendous, uh, tremendous people involved, you know, with that and, and like really, really miraculous engineering minds. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's absolutely a fact. I, I get, I, I mean, I, I get livid when I hear people say, oh, no, 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 no. Voyager one, uh, you know, oh, that none of that stuff happened off oh, flatter. Go, go fuck yourself or go shit yourself. Do that. Cause at least then people can, can, you know, smell the stink of you and know to stay away. But, <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, just an amazing story. What, what an incredible, I mean, the, the, the Voyager pros and I wish, you know, <laughs> in fact, we might mention this later, like in Star Trek, the motion picture, I have V'ger, right? Which is Voyager six. I wish it kept on going. I mean, that'd be awesome if we had six of these things out there, you know, that we could constantly be getting data from, but, uh, you know, that wasn't, wasn't meant to be, but good on Voyager one, good on humanity for leaving you know, granted through one of its probes, not, not manned, but for leaving the solar system and, and collecting data from outside, from, you know, extrasolar data. I mean, that, that's, that's remarkable to consider. So anyway, uh, so, you know, when there's great engineering, granted there's examples of holy shit, what the fuck engineering, how did that all go wrong? And I'm just going to touch on this. I am not, you know, there's, I, this story is still unfolding, uh, so I'm going to hold off probably until next week to talk about it more in depth, but Apple, Ooh, Apple, you're having a bad week. Actually, you're, you're kind of having a bad year. Like iOS 11. What a clusterfuck. 
how many more updates you got to do, but not only iOS 11, uh, Mac OS. And again, like I said, I'm not going to go full in depth on this story. I just want to make people aware of it. I mean, there was a very, very nasty bug with their latest version of Mac OS. That being high Sierra, uh, it was a 10.13. Now, now they're up to 10, 13.1 because they had to put out this emergency patch because what was happening is, is that there was a, uh, a root bug that allowed for, uh, you know, somebody to, if they just, you know, when you get to your logon screen, if somebody just entered in root, they could get into your computer, they could get into your Mac and they would have complete, you know, root privileges, which they just owned your ass. And supposedly this also, and again, I want to get a lot more details because this has been a very rocky ride over the week for Apple. Okay. And look, I get it. Engineering can be tough. I, I you know, I know I, I, I do, I have a brief, you know, I do some software work. I know how this goes. Okay. I'm a coder. I get it. I know it can be tough, but wow. When you're Apple, like you, you, you can't fuck up like this. Uh, I mean that, that is a glaring badass bug. And supposedly it could even be accessed over the network. It wasn't just something that where you had to be local, you had to be at the machine. Supposedly it could be done over network. I'm still wait, collecting a lot of the details on this. So I don't want to make any, you know, crazy wild claims right now. Uh, but maybe next week we'll get into it more. But anyway, it was funny because they put out the, the, I mean, they, in fact, it was impressive. Kudos to Apple for apologizing. They almost never apologize, but they apologized and said, look, our, you know, our customers deserve better than this. This is really bad. Uh, Granted, I don't think Apple's giving much of a shit about Mac OS or about Macs in general. You know, everything's iPhone. And even that is, like I said, iOS 11 is, is honestly a disaster. Uh, but, and look, Mac fans will tell you, or Apple fans will tell you that. I don't have to be the, you know, I'm not an Apple fan. Not anymore. I used to, you know, 15 years ago I was, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> in fact, I mean, Steve Jobs, he, he, he. He called it. Steve Jobs said it, or I'm sorry, not Steve Jobs. Steve Gibson said it on security now this week, you know, and they, they only briefly touched on it. They didn't really go in depth on it, but he, he very, you know, when he was talking about just iOS 11, Steve Gibson uses iOS devices, uh, on security now. And he, you know, he said, he's like, wow, he says, Steve Jobs is there. He said, there's be heads rolling. You know, there would be heads rolling. This would, this would not totally unacceptable if Steve Jobs is still there. And I think he's right. I mean, this is not, this is not the apple of your, it's not even close. It's like, stop apologizing for this company. They are fucking up. Uh, and this was really bad. So they put out the security patch quick enough and good. I mean, yeah, you got to respond fast. You got to make it happen. You got to do it within, you know, under 24 hours, you know, really you need to do it in seconds, but you got to be fast. And yeah, when you do it fast, there's a good chance that you're going to break other things, but that's the thing, crazy thing is that's exactly what happened. I mean, look, we're not talking about a company that only has like, like 10 coders, you know, we're talking about one of the biggest software and hardware companies in the world. If not the biggest, you know, you can get a lot of eyes on this, a lot of manpower on it really fast, working really hard. I don't give you the same, uh, uh, you know, I'm not going to give you the same empathy and understanding that I would to, I don't know, pick, pick the, the fucking app company, you know, with, with a 13 person team. Like I'm not, I'm just not, you know, you, you need to do so much fucking better, especially when your operating system is, or at least used to be mainly based on BSD. I know kind of, it, it still is, but well, anyway, not, not, not going to go down that road. So, I mean, it's just, it's insulting that, that, yeah, well, whatever. Okay. <laughs> so this, uh, I mean, this is really bad. So, so as soon as they rolled out the patch, then there were suddenly announcements that, holy shit, you know, like a bunch of, uh, uh, users, like there was file sharing errors after, after the fact. Um, I mean, it was, it was really, really ugly. 
but okay, fine. You know, so some file sharing errors happen, you know, or like there's, there's some errors that occur, you know, after you roll out this patch. Okay. Well, at least they're not as bad as somebody getting complete root access, you know, to your computer. Great. Um, but then what happens is, (laughs) so they have to roll out another patch to fix all the problems that the, what is it? The 10.13.1 patch fixed, you know, to, to stop that root user access. And when that next patch comes out, then it re enables the whole root access bug. (laughs) That's so bad. (laughs) Holy shit. Now, now apparently it could have been again, this is the thing. This is, this has got a, like this story, this is a story that keeps on giving it. You know, I don't want to do like a full report on it and say that everything is, this is fact. This is what happened. You know, we got to kind of collect, collect the info on this. We don't want to just run on it quick, but I'm just putting it out there. Um, but I mean, then, you know, apparently if you rebooted your, if you restarted the computer after you got the, uh, the, the, the second patch, then the, uh, the root access bug wouldn't be there. Uh, but who knew to restart, you know, to restart it. I mean, would that eventually happen? I don't know. I mean, it, it's, Oh, it's ugly. It's, it's really, really ugly. I mean, look, I, you know, honestly, I don't, you know, I have friends that use apples. I mean, I try to tell them otherwise, but you know, they use them and I don't see them, you know, they're, I don't ever see them reboot their computers. When do they do that? (laughs) You know, me, I reboot mine all the time. Uh, I don't know. So, Hey, I mean, that, that could be, that could have been a genuine problem. Uh, I mean, this is a really ugly week, uh, for, for Apple, quite frankly. And like I said, look, I'm not going to, I'm not going to report on everything. I'm not going to sit here and just like knock Apple nonstop. I know I got a lot of Apple users that listen to this show. Okay. I imagine you're quite angry, rightfully so at what happened. Okay. You know, Mac, uh, software and, you know, their computers in general are still incredibly rock solid things in many ways, superior to windows. Uh, don't, don't confuse what I'm saying. I'm just saying this is really bad for a company that should be able to do a whole hell of a lot better, a whole hell of a lot better, uh, as, as far as that goes. And, you know, it really, you know, someone was saying this in the sovereign tech, uh, Facebook group, it, it really highlights kind of the importance of why there needs to be like a third major player in the operating system and hardware game. Um, and I don't just mean Linux, you know, maybe Linux will get there someday. I wish it would like, I just, I've, you know, when you've been around, for a while, like I have, I'm not that old, but when you've been around for a little while, every year is supposed to be the year of Linux and it never happens, you know? And, and I've tried certain, oh, I fucking tried with Sovereign Tech, you know, to push, to get people onto Linux and onto open source and all that. And I mean, and the open source movement's winning, you know, don't misunderstand me, but that doesn't necessarily mean that Linux is winning. <laughs> okay. At least not, not like Linux, the desktop operating system. I mean, Linux is in many ways, Linux is the most popular operating system in the world. It's, you know, Android is effectively Linux. Um, all those Super Nintendo, you know, minis, you know, or all the all the SNES classics that you have out there and the NES classics that are such a hot property. Guess what? Those are all Linux boxes running around. Raspberry Pis, they're all Linux boxes. I mean, you know, everybody, people don't realize that they're using it, but they're using it. But I mean, I'm talking about where it's an everyday thing and where people don't have to worry. I mean, because when people understand, people emailed me about this saying, hey, what the fuck do I do? You know, I had some clients saying, uh, you know, what, what's, and, and, all I could tell them, I said, look, this is terrible is the information I have that I've seen so far. This is, you know, this is like a red alert, turn off your computer, 
do not turn it back on until you find out, you know, and, and use your phone until you find out that, um, uh, you know, that Apple is putting out a patch. That's, that's literally what I told people to do because it was that bad. So, you know, in my opinion, and we could find out that I overreacted. That's fine. Okay. But in, the, in, in with my clients, Oh, you think I'm going to fuck around and say, Oh yeah, don't worry about it. Apple will patch it in a minute. No, obviously not. And they fucked it up over and over again. I think my caution was incredibly well-founded. So, but it shows like, I mean, in the gaming industry, you know, I just men- mentioned the super Nintendo classic and all that in the gaming industry, the gaming industry has really, I, I think it's matured and benefited highly from there being three players in the game. Okay. Now there's kind of always been three players in the game, but usually two were bigger than the one. Not so like, I mean, Sony, Microsoft right now it's Sony, Microsoft and Nintendo. And I think the fact that there's that kind of choice, uh, is a really powerful aspect and why the gaming industry is just one of those markets that keeps making money. I mean, that keeps making crazy money because people really have, they can really get that tailored choice that they want. Um, and that they feel totally comfortable with, you know, and what they want to do as to where I think in the, in, in the, you know, personal computer industry, yeah, I don't know that that's true. I mean, like, I, I don't, I mean, there's people who, you know, are sick of Mac, but they don't want to use windows. And I totally understand that there's people who are going to windows regardless because they're so sick of Mac. There's people who are sick of windows that they went to Mac a few years ago and that, you know, and they're not going to look back. Um, there's people who have gotten on board with Linux, but then usually they end up going back to either Mac or, you know, or windows or something. Um, there needs to be that really serious third player that people can count on and that like Adobe. And I mean, I know like there's a lot of clouds, like Adobe's getting into cloud services and all that. And that might be enough for people to finally use Linux or something, but I think it needs to be something, something more, something a little bit more. Uh, maybe it'll be Linux based. It probably would be, but you know, I'm just saying there, there needs, I mean, Ubuntu w- looked like they were kind of getting there, but then they, they had to significantly scale back either because of the mobile revolution or what, I don't know, but, or, you know, the mobile industry. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it just goes to show that, that there's, there's, I think there's some room from disruption here. And, you know, if it's like Microsoft, how they came in, in the gaming industry is an absolute dark horse after Sega left. Uh, and then, you know, really took over. I mean, with the Xbox 360, in many ways, they were owning that generation. I mean, the Wii at the time, which was this competition, is, you know, the best-selling gaming system of all time. But the 360 was what was on everybody's lips. And in only another, you know, second generation for a company, you know, in, in a totally new market for them, that's pretty good. And so if somebody could do that in the personal computing space, that would be awesome. That needs to happen. So anyway, but uh, not to say that the personal computing space doesn't have its own challenges in other ways. Uh, in fact, considering that it does, you know, maybe something you want to do is, is maybe decentralize some of your wealth. Maybe you had your Bitcoin wallet uh, on your Mac and ooh, that could have been very scary. So if you could diversify your wealth a little bit, maybe a good idea would have been to, uh, you know, go with something like precious metals, gold, silver, platinum, palladium, things like that. And hell, maybe you could have used that Bitcoin to buy 
uh, some gold, silver, and whatever else. You can do that by going to Roberts and Roberts Brokerage. Roberts and Roberts Brokerage, they're a sov- sovereign tech sponsor, been a longtime sovereign tech sponsor. Uh, and they, I mean, just phenomenal, phenomenal business. Uh, and again, they are Bitcoin preferred business. It's not like, oh yeah, we take Bitcoin. No, they want Bitcoin. They love Bitcoin. So you want to deal with them. Go to the website, rrbi.co. That's the website, rrbi.co. Let them know that the Golden Stallion sent you. Get golden with them. Get that Get that nice offline storage. You can't hack gold, baby. Not like that. <laughs> okay. Not like your Mac. So, so maybe you'll think that that's a good idea. Uh, go ahead and, and, and check them out again. That's rrbi.co. And I thank them for sponsoring, uh, sovereign tech. Now, um, I am going to get into, we, we've got, we've got a lot to talk about here. Okay. Uh, and before I do, I do want to get, uh, my other sponsor out of the way, but, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to spend a good long while on this. This is going to end up be probably being a pretty long uh, sovereign tech, but I want to talk about these movies. But I mean, I think there's much broader implications. If you're here for the tech, stick around because I think you're going to see why it's important. But but let's let's get into the tool of the week. But before I do that, I want to talk about something that excites me. Well, you know, you want to talk about excitement, you got to be talking about what is happening just in the past week. Okay, and I am recording this, of course, on December 2nd, 2017. But just in the past week, what has been going on with Zencash? Woo, a sovereign tech sponsor. I am so honored to have on board that I love having with the show because they've got that same mindset that sovereign tech is always talking about and going for that, that serious decentralization, that anonymity, privacy, encryption, great cryptography, the whole thing. But just this week, they announced into their main net is their secure nodes. Now, if you didn't listen to the interview with myself and Rob Viglione, was that episode 232 or 252? I think it was episode 252. You want to hear about that, about the secure nodes and all this. This is really, really exciting stuff that you're going to want to jump on. Okay, but if you want to find out all about it, you go to zensystem.io. We are talking about one of the most exciting cryptocurrencies, uh, blockchains, I guess you could say, in for me in a very long time okay it's using zero knowledge proofs we got that going for us that's that's key all right and because it's one of the you know i mean talk about a breakthrough in fucking cryptography okay we got that we've got this you know just an awesome awesome cryptocurrency aspect of it you know of course being called zen cash which is part of the entire zen platform then you've got the messaging service and there's so many other exciting things going on with zen and zen cash which you know, the terms are interchangeable. You got to rock and roll with it. You got to check it out. Go to zensystem.io. I'm telling you, I don't talk much. Okay. There's very, very few blockchains, very few cryptocurrencies that catch my eye that I get an interest in. All right. This is one of them. This is one of the very, very few uh, that intrigues me. This is one of the very few that I am just so on board with. I get it. They get it. You get it. Zensystem.io. Get on board with Zen. Get on, get yourself some Zen cash. Make it happen. Woo! Now let's get back to the show. Hey, all right. You know, I'm, I'm gonna do. A, I'm gonna call this uh, this little. I mean, we're doing a very impromptu show here because we got something unique uh, coming up. But I, you know, I'm gonna call this tool of the week. This little segment right here. Okay. Uh, I was to, earlier today. Ah, man. Well, like I said. Okay. I, I mentioned earlier that. Yeah, I had, you know, this is this is going to be kind of special because I'm actually going to kind of review three movies, okay, uh, that I think are important. And I think that there's kind of a larger, larger thing to talk about with all of those. Uh, so I, I mentioned I saw Justice League, okay, saw the new Justice League movie. 
Um, I saw the new, uh, the new Thor movie, Thor Ragnarok. And then I watched, um, I watched the, well, it chalks up to like three hours and eight minutes. Okay. You can call it the three hour version or maybe even the four hour version. If you watched it on TV with commercials, it'd be the four hour version. That's how it, uh, of Superman, Superman, the movie from 1978, finish my sentence. Um, I, you know, I, I might call it the four hour version just be, even though I, the, the Blu-ray itself that I have, because it's one of the greatest movies ever made, um, you know, it says the three, the three hour extended edition on it. Um, but kind of like Dune, like there was a, uh, the original, what is it? The, the 84 Dune. Okay. That David Lynch did. There's what's called the Alan Smithy version or what I used to call, I called it the four hour version before I really understood, you know, this is when I was a teenager watching the sci-fi channel before I really understood what Alan Smithy was, you know, that that's just like, uh, that's a name that gets used if a director doesn't want to be attached to a cut of a film. And in this case, you know, that being David Lynch, uh, you know, I would call it the four hour version of Dune. Now, really, it it barely chalks up to three. But on the sci fi channel, you know, with with commercials and everything, when you'd watch that in the 90s, back when the sci fi channel was actually worth watching and was cool, uh, you know, you, it was four hours. So you called it the four hour version, you know, so so there's a part of me that just wants to call Superman, you know, the extended edition of Superman, the movie, the 78 Superman, uh, you know, the four hour version. But whatever, that's not really what we're what we're necessarily here to talk about. Anyway, I wanted to watch this movie, though. Okay. Um, I wanted to catch this Blu-ray and I had recently gotten a, uh, a new Blu-ray drive. Um, I think it's a BD, BD 5s a pioneer BD 5s And it was important. This, this Blu-ray, it, the Blu-ray drive is great. Okay. The drive itself is phenomenal. In fact, it can, it, it's not just a player. It's not just a Blu-ray player. It's also a burner. Um, and it can burn M discs. In fact, the one that I got ended up coming with, uh, an M disc that I will be using to store like, cause you know, the, uh, well, it can handle BDXL as well, which, you know, gets into uh, what the hundreds of gigs, you know, that that's like a 4k player almost. Which let's be clear here. This is a very confusing aspect. Well, let, let, let's, yeah, let's try and be clear here. This is a very confusing aspect of the Blu-ray industry format, I guess, uh, right now. So this, this Pioneer, uh, the, uh, what is it? What did I say? It was BDO5S. Okay. This Pioneer drive can, it claims it can do uh, Blu-ray XL. Now, Blu-ray XL, a normal Blu-ray, you, you have a normal, you have a single layer Blu-ray, you have a double layer Blu-ray. So a normal Blu-ray can do what? 25 gigs. A dual layer can do 50. When you get into BDS, uh, BDXL, blue, you know, Blu-ray discs, XL, I think that's what they call them. Or I, I think BDXL is kind of the shortened version. You know, you get into the hundreds of gigs and this is how you get 4K content. This is how you put 4K content onto a disc because it just takes up that much fucking space, right? Um, you know, as compared to normal DVDs or what, 1080p. So, um, it's very, it is incredibly confusing and believe me, I looked, it's very confusing to find like a great simple answer as to what Blu-ray drives for computers, particularly. Okay. You know, looking for, looking for a a 4k Blu-ray player, you know, that's just a standalone player that connects to a TV. It's easy enough to find the answers to which one actually does, uh, you know, which one does 4k, but with drives, you, it's very tough to get a clear answer because I don't think that there's any guarantee and I'll have to test this out at some point, but I don't think there's any guarantee that because it says it, it handles Blu-ray XL, that that means it's a 4k player. 
Um, in fact, there's a really confusing thing like on Amazon, I think there's a Samsung model that says it's 4k. What it actually is, it's a 4k upscaler, but it doesn't play 4k Blu-rays. I mean, like it's, it's an incredibly confusing situation, uh, to say nothing of the fact that really we've entered, I mean, there's, there's no real competitor anymore. Uh, not, not the competitors within the kind of the physical media format has, has always been like a thing. I mean, DVD, you know, ran roughshod, right. Um, you know, VHS, I mean, yeah, you know, there was, there was Betamax for a while. Right. And there's been some others. I know Laserdisc, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you could say that Laserdisc was ta- or DVD was taking on Laserdisc, but not really. I mean, that that was only only the, you know, kind of the connoisseurs of, of film were were really saying, oh, no, Laserdisc is still better than than DVDs and all that. I mean, that that's a whole long fucking history. And I'm talking about things I had no intention of talking about, but whatever. I'm talking about them. We're going to run. Fuck. We'll do it live. Woo! Okay. So... <sighs> You know, I mean, yeah, when after DVD, you had HD DVD, right, which I guess might be the most comparable thing to how Blu-ray now has Blu-ray XL. But you had at the time, really, it was HD DVD versus Blu-ray. And there was some debate as to, uh, you know, which one was going to win. And look, I, I know there's been other like really um, I don't know, niche formats. Like there was that like HD VHS. I'm not kidding. There was like this really, really. In fact, it, it was technically better picture quality than a blu-ray but it was on tape i'm i'm not i'm i'm not fucking kidding and uh, i think the one or the only movie i ever saw that they they played on it was uh was blade runner and of course it's that's a great demo film to to put on but it was stunning it was gorgeous okay i know there's been a bunch of niche ones but we're just talking about the popular conventional mindset okay um hd dvd versus blu-ray i mean right now blu-ray is owning it because i don't, most people don't i don't think they think there's any real money in going with a, a a physical format. Now I could spend a whole ton of time talking about what I think is going to end up happening with, with physical formats. Um, there's a part, uh, not to get into the whole net neutrality thing or whatever, but there's a part of me that thinks if 4k really matters to people and look, I don't think, I actually don't think it does. I really don't think it does. Okay. Uh, it, I, I think it's very much like MP3s versus like lossless, uh, you know, codecs and everything. And look, I know there's people that love flack and they love their lossless codecs and all that. I, I, I know you're out there and I, I mean, no disrespect to you. I am not saying you're not important. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm just saying at least in my own mind. And I know it's not just me. Most people, because you can find plenty of evidence about this, plenty of research on the matter. Most people do really don't give a shit about audio quality. Like it can be good enough. There's a reason MP3s conquered, and it's not just because of what people were force fed. Okay, if people don't like something, you can force feed it all they want. If they don't like it, they're not going to accept it. All right, and you know you could have people try their Pono players and all this other horse shit. Look, it just doesn't matter. People want they'll trade sound quality for convenience, availability. And, you know, a whole slew of other things, including how much does it eat their data plan? Right. I mean, because, you know, yeah, of course, AAC, H-E-A-A-C plus is better than MP3. No fucking shit. (laughs) No one's going to argue with you about that. But better doesn't always like chalk up to what just has the objective greatest sound quality or best compression. Better comes down, has a million different factors to it. Okay. So anyway, where, where the hell was I talking about this? Oh, I know what I was going to say. Okay. I don't think most people care about 4k. 
Like, I, I really don't. And in fact, I'll tell you something. You know when they're really not going to care about it is if, and look, this is this has this actually has nothing to do with net neutrality because it was happening anyway beforehand and after, you know, uh, Tom Wheeler laid down his little, you know, pissant hammer. Okay. Uh, I mean, it, it doesn't matter. Comcast was charging. If you went over, what is it like 300 gig or something on your monthly plan? They were going to charge you They They are going to, they charge you like $10 every gigabit or something. Every gigabyte after that, not gigabit, every gigabyte after that. And it, it's something like that. All right. You start streaming a whole shit ton of 4k content. What you think you're not going to use up that 300 gig in a heartbeat. Fuck. Yes, you are. This is one of the big things. I mean, it's so funny. Like net neutrality. I know, look, I don't want to get, I don't want, I don't want to get lost in the weeds on it. Okay. I said this last time net neutrality was a thing before, you know, a Jeep pie was pulling his bullshit today. Okay. And, and if you listen to last week's episode, I'm t- I'm not on, I'm not on either side of the debate. Okay. I'm standing above with the actual fucking solution that strikes the root. The problem is the goddamn infrastructure itself. The internet sucks ass. Okay. All right. We got that. So last time we talked about it, I said, I was like, look, you're missing the actual problems. You're missing the actual argument. Like I just said, the problems, the infrastructure, right? Okay. You know, the real concern is that is how these, you know, and, and whether it's title two or not, because again, like I said, when, when Tom Wheeler put it through his title two, they did nothing about the last mile to increase competition and which is supposed to be a part of title two. And also the, uh, they, they didn't get involved in price controls. Okay. So that's why Comcast is still able to charge you for all the extra gigabytes. Once you get above a certain level, right? Okay. Yeah, fine. They can't charge you on the speed, but they're going to charge you on how much you use. My overall point being Comcast is going to make a killing if you give a shit about 4k and streaming unless I mean, cause you see what I'm saying? Like 4k video again, you know, we were just talking about blu-rays. You need blu-ray XL to be able to handle 4k video and all that. Uh, you know, these, these discs are, 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 are already in the hundreds of gigs. You're, you're going <laughs> to, you're going to be paying out of your ass just to watch a 4k video and they know it. So unless, you know, I mean, that's the real scam is, is like, oh, let's get everybody hooked. Let's get everybody a 4k TV. Let's get everybody hooked on 4k content. And then let's charge them per gigabyte. Title two, isn't going to solve that. It didn't solve it when Tom Wheeler put it through. Do you understand? Unless you decide to say, well, I'll just start buying Blu-rays again. Because a Blu-ray doesn't take up any fucking data, right? It's a physical disc that you pop in. You don't have to download anything new. Well, we're going to talk about having to download new shit with it. But, uh, but you know, raw to watch a movie, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to download generally. You don't have to download anything to improve the movie necessarily experience. Uh, but we'll talk about firmware updates and software updates in a second. So I don't think, and this kind of speaks to maybe some of what we were talking about earlier in this show. I don't think that actually physical media is going to go anywhere. I don't think it's going to disappear. I've had my moments where I thought it was going to disappear, but right now I don't think so. Um, in fact, I've brought this point up many times over re- the recent years, past couple of years is that who is the number one purchaser of Blu-rays, not consumers, businesses. In fact, who's the number one business that buys Blu-rays Facebook. What does Facebook do with Blu-rays? Are they just watching a shit ton of movies? 
No, they use it to store all of your data instead of keeping it off, instead of keeping it on servers. Gee, how's that request going to work out when you need that data, uh, you know, deleted? Especially what, boy, what if they're using M-Discs? Which, if you don't know about M-Discs, I'll explain what those are in a second, okay? Because the Blu-ray player that I got can, can burn M-Discs, Blu-ray M-Discs as well, which is great. So, uh, yeah, no, Blu-ray is not going anywhere. Um, BD Blu-ray XL is sure it's to push 4k, but I also think that it probably has a lot more practical, uh, reasonings and concerns for, for existing, uh, that including for reasons like Facebook, the reason why they buy blue, so many goddamn Blu-rays because they want permanent storage and off server storage. That's reliable, uh, of your data. Oh yeah. Like that shit's going to get deleted. Uh Uh-huh. How do you, like I said, how do you even request that? So yeah, my point, either people are just not going to give a shit about 4k because it's going to hit them in the wallet or they're going to start buying physical media again. Might I'm totally open to it being the latter that people will just start buying physical media again. Certainly the kind of, like I mentioned, the connoisseurs, you know, the people that are like, oh, I have to, I need to taste the brain matter. What, you know, in, in that action movie, when, uh, uh, when I watch it, you know, those kind of people will certainly, they're the ones that are still buying Blu-rays and all that. And certainly they have a lot of money and they will buy up, you know, a lot of these discs and everything. No doubt about that. Okay. Um, but I mean, it might become a lot more than niche, you know, physical media might make a very serious comeback and it's because of, you know, what are frankly greedy fucking ISPs. Yes. They fucking are greedy. Look, look at their profit margins and you tell me they're not greedy. No, don't, don't look, we don't have to talk about net neutrality has nothing to do with net neutrality. They're greedy fucking bastards straight up. And they have a centralized infrastructure that allows them to do that and to get away with it. Okay. Anyway, talking about my Blu-ray player. <laughs> it's amazing. The conversation you can have around a Blu-ray, a simple Blu-ray disc drive, USB external disc drive for a computer. Okay. So this, um, th- this pioneer Blu-ray disc drive, right? Again, it's fine. It's great. It's a little top loader. Beautiful. Does, does a hell of a job. I actually like the fact that it's top loading and it's not a slider. Those sliders, I don't trust that shit. Shit gets stuck. It can do, you know, Blu-ray XL. It can do normal Blu-rays. It can do DVDs, obviously. It can burn DVDs. It can burn Blu-rays. And it can burn M-Disc DVDs and M-Disc Blu-rays. Now, if you don't know what M-Disc is, M-Disc are these, are, are, is an optical media. Okay. Like Blu-ray or DVD. And it comes in both flavors. Uh, not that it has a di- an increased size limit, like, you know, every DVD, you know, tops out if it's a single layer, it tops out of what, you know, 4.7 gig or whatever, five gig pretty much, or like four gig pretty much. Uh, and then the other ones like, you know, dual layers, what nine, whatever, um, you know, it, I mean, and, and then with Blu-rays, obviously 25 gig and 50 gig. Okay. But what it is, it's, it's almost literally made out of stone. Doesn't feel like it, but that's, that's its actual composition. And these are discs that you can burn and they can play in normal players. You need a special M disc burner to be able to make M disc DVDs and M disc Blu-rays, but to play them, to access them, you can use any Blu-ray drive or any DVD drive for the respective formats. Okay. Uh, which is really cool. But what these discs can do is they can last for at least a thousand years. That that's the claim. Obviously they haven't been able to test that, right? At least not that we know of. Okay. But they can theoretically last for a thousand years because they're, they're almost literally made out of stone. 
So this is a really cool feature. Um, I do a lot of backing up of my stuff using MDisk, uh, you know, either DVD or now Blu-ray or whatever. It's a nice feature. It's something that it's out there. It exists. You can take advantage of it. And if it costs an extra 10, 20 bucks for a drive to have it, why the fuck not? Right. You know, I mean, that's a nice little feature to have to be able to burn that. That's cool. Um, I can't ever see. I mean, having a Blu-ray burner for any other reason doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me because Blu-ray discs cost like per burnable disc pretty much cost as much as, you know, a Blu-ray movie. Right. Like, I mean, like, I don't know the, the average, uh, what I see on Amazon, look, I don't have a ton of Blu-rays. I only have like, I don't know the movies that matter, you know, like uh forbidden planet, blade runner soldier, um, obviously Superman, the movie, like I mentioned the matrix, the entire matrix trilogy, because you know, all three of them are great. I'm not kidding about that either. But anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't have a ton of Blu-rays, but when I look at Blu-rays, you know, on Amazon or when they come up in my searches or whatever, it seems like, you know, the average Blu-ray movie sells for anywhere between eight to 15 bucks. I mean, and that's, that's what a burnable Blu-ray would pretty much would, would just about cost you. Or, I mean, something around there, I, I think. Um, so I can't really see like DVDs and DVD burning became a thing. Look, I used to have, I mean, a, me and a, and a great buddy of mine, we had quite the operation going, not that we were selling anything. It was for our own personal libraries. Okay. I, I mean that, but like we say, you know, when Netflix was, wasn't a streaming service at all, actually, I mean, eventually became one while we were doing this, but you know, when it wasn't even a streaming service at all and it was just, you know, renting DVDs, I mean, we would, we would, you know, we would be the, the, the five DVD at a time plan and <laughs> we'd, we'd have them burned inside of a day. I mean, you know, we'd just be constantly making copies of films. I mean, we, we had this whole crazy operation going as it, it was amazing, uh, because I mean, shit, it was so cheap you know, compared to a DVD's cost at the time, which is a significantly different, uh, uh, you know, uh, margin or price margin. Okay. Between, you know, with the burnable media and especially like if Best Buy would always have like a, a 50 pack of DVDs on sale for like 10 bucks or something. I mean, you got 50 movies for 10 bucks. You know, I don't think that happens with Blu-rays. I just don't, uh, you know, and, and, and it wasn't a time, you know, DVD was still the, the hotness. And so DVDs themselves would still sell easily for 30, $40, you know, like, I mean, that wasn't an outrageous price at all. Uh, especially if it was a, like a really great film or, you know, a rare film, which you know, why bother with much else? But anyway, so in that sense, it made you know, it made sense to do that. So I'm not really interested other than M disc. I have no interest in burning Blu-rays. It's just not, it's not, not a part of the program. Okay. So yeah, not 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 the reason that I got that drive is is to burn Blu-rays. I mean, even with M-Disc, it's expensive to do it with Blu-rays. You know, this happened to come with one, so I'll use it, but otherwise I just use M-Disc uh, DVDs. So anyway, I want to use point the whole point in bringing this up, okay? I actually have a pick. I have a tool of the week. I have a piece of software I want to share with you because of an experience that I went through with this drive. I am trying to watch today, earlier today, I am trying to watch Superman, the movie, the extended edition, three to four hours, whatever you want to chalk it up as. Now, the Pioneer DVD player, one of the things that I looked for, or uh, Blu-ray player, one of the things I also looked for is, okay, does it happen to come with like movie player software? Because I know how crazy the whole piracy, you know, talking earlier, we were talking about burning DVDs and everything. I know how crazy with Blu-rays that a lot of the anti-piracy uh, uh, attempts, software, codecs, etc., you know, have gotten. I, I like, I, I'm fully, fully aware of how that goes. Like it's almost to the point where, well, okay. It, it wouldn't be, 
it would be cost effective to, to try and crack, um, you know, the, the, the constant updating of, of Blu-ray anti-piracy, uh, 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 attempts, software, I don't know, firmware. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I mean, it's the, the technical term would be libraries. Okay. Cause that, that's what they, that's what they, they add in or, or like the scheme, um, you know, that, that they put in, I guess measures measures is a fine term. The anti-piracy measures that they, and they keep coming up with new ones. They keep updating them. Okay. Uh, you know, with DVDs, this was the thing. It was a, you know, constant arms race as well. And your, your ultimate weapon for the pirate was software called any DVD. Now, any DVD still exists. It's by a different company called Red Fox now, as compared to the company it was before. Uh, and also now it solely exists as a subscription service. So you have to pay a fee and I, I don't, I forget if it's like monthly or yearly or whatever. And look, this is fine. I mean, if people are into this shit, they're into it. And, and some of you are, are doing, you know, the dark Lord's work and thank you for that. Okay. Uh, you know, in making this stuff available and using that kind of software, you know, maybe to get it up on torrent sites and everything, you know, what, whatever it takes. And I'll talk more about how I think that that's, <laughs> that's some very important work going on, but Anyway, um, you know, now you have to, I mean, you kind of have to pay crazy money. You might as well, like, it's, it's just about to the point, just at the point of parody where, yeah, I, I, I might, and it's P-A-R-I-T-Y, not parody is in P-A-R-O-D-Y, like a porn or something. Okay. It's at the point of parody where, yeah, you might as well buy the Blu-ray disc, right? Like, let, let's make it official. Let's do it right. That's fine. And it's about to the point to where, yeah, you know what? Fine. Cyberlink, you know, I mean, their software is like the, the two main pieces of software for playing DVDs and Blu-rays and whatever else on computers for over a decade has been either Win DVD um, or or Power DVD from from Cyberlink uh, specifically. So anyway, a nice thing that you can do is that when you when you get a new optical drive of some kind, you can see, oh, hey, does it come with, uh, you know, some kind of software, some kind of player software or burner software, you know, for like Mac users, like we were talking about earlier. I mean, you know, a popular thing to do is, oh, does it come with Roxio Toast? You know, because that's a very handy piece of software. OK, even though a lot of OSs are starting, you know, would start to build in their own stuff, even though. But then at the same time, OSs are scaling back in what they make available because they think everything's going into streaming. And so, you know, they don't give a shit about the, you know, and they'll, they'll let other companies kind of charge the premium to be able to handle physical media uh, or, you know, or something like this. So fine. This player, I check it out. It comes with power DVD. Okay, great. You know, I, I, I can install that on the computer and then I can play this Blu-ray fine because it's a very new Blu-ray, specifically the Superman one um, that I got, like just came out beginning of November, I think, or maybe it was beginning of October, whatever. It, it's brand spanking new. I, I pre-ordered it. Okay. <laughs> Cause I knew it was coming. Um, I mean, I do do that sometimes like in February, uh, of 2018, there's a two disc special edition of black Eagle. If you've never seen black Eagle, holy shit. This is uh, one of Van Damme's first films. He's the villain. The hero is played by Shokasugi, which anybody that's into like ninja movies and all that, especially from actually from Southeast Asia, everybody knows Shokasugi. I mean, this, this is a legend the movie is fucking awesome. And, and the, the two disc, uh, Blu-ray that they have coming out actually has the, the 104 minute or like the extended cut, um, of black Eagle. One of my favorite movies. I mean, I watched that before I saw blood sport before I saw, you know, Lionheart and all, you know, all the great Van Damme films. And he has, he has many genuinely great films. I, I think he's fantastic. Uh, but black Eagle so cool. He's, you know, this Russian agent and everything. Awesome. Awesome shit. 
So, so I, pre- I pre-ordered Blu-rays, you know, when it's something that really fucking matters when it's one of those like game changing films. And actually, personally, I think Black Eagle is just a lot of people somehow don't realize it, um, just how important a film that was. So my thinking is, it's like, okay, I get official software with this, with this Blu-ray drive. Awesome. I can, uh, you know, I won't have to deal with the headache of cracking and of, of, you know, downloading new libraries for VLC because VLC player, which is my favorite media player has been for also for over a decade. Um, you know, it can, it can do Blu-rays. The thing is, is that the kind of the, the libraries that it uses, the software libraries that it uses have to be updated kind of regularly. So it can be a bit of a headache. And sometimes those libraries don't update as quickly as say the new anti-piracy measures or whatever else. I mean, they, they can claim. So, okay. What, what this is going to be about is what's called AACS advanced access content system. And what it is, it's a, it's a standard for, you know, handling DRM for handling digital rights management. Okay. Particularly uh, with Blu-rays. I mean, and it works for other things too, but let's be clear here. This is completely about, about DRM, you know, and, and trying to stop piracy. They can claim it's for other bullshit, but they're full of shit when they say that. Okay. So anyway, I don't want to deal with having to constantly crack that, whatever, fine. They kind, they kind of win. And I'm like, all right, well, I'll, I'll go with the official software. So, all right. So my disc drive comes with my pioneer Blu-ray disc drive or yeah. Uh, optical drive, whatever comes with, comes with power DVD 12. Now that's a couple generations back. I think right now they're up to either power DVD 16 or 17 or something. Okay, fine. But they keep updating it. And I would assume that pioneer would not include software that can't also read BDXL, you know, Blu-ray discs XL, which is kind of the latest standard that allows for all kinds of shit. So, all right. So I, I figure I'm safe. This is fairly future proof, even though I can't find a Blu-ray disc drive that, that is natively USB-C. I mean, yeah, I, I could switch out the cord, I suppose, but anyway, what, or, you know, and I have adapters that I can put on that's, that's fine, but you get my point. So, all right. So I do this. And so I go to, all right, I install, I install it. I put it on my windows machine. I install power DVD 12, you know, here we go. I, yeah, I agree. I'll, here's your bullshit. Fine. Yeah. Okay. You're spying on me. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. Fine. Um, and then I, I put in the movie. Here we go. I'm ready to go. It's a beautiful Saturday. Let's do this. All right. I'm going to watch this. Then I'll go catch Thor Ragnarok. And I'm going to be able to do this great review on Sovereign Tech where I'm comparing these three uh, comic book films. Okay. And what ends up happening is just suddenly I end up in this loop about where Power DVD 12 wants to update uh, the latest AACS. Okay, fine. You know, my, my software is official. Everything on this, on this Windows machine that I'm using, everything is completely official. There's zero crack software whatsoever on it. There's none. All right, I made sure of that. I wanted this thing to, you know, this is pristine, no bullshit. And it just keeps going in a loop. It says, okay, do you want to update now? Yes, click okay. Goes in a loop. Do it again. Click. Okay. No, goes in a loop. And every time I try to play the fucking movie, it won't go. All right, fine. Let's so power. I mean, eventually I'm messing with that for like 20, 30 minutes looking up, you know, on search engines. Okay. How the hell do I solve this? Nobody has a good answer for it. And Cyberlink just keeps telling me, oh, well, upgrade to power DVD 16. And you know, then you'll get access to this, 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 this. And it's like $60 or something. And it's like, no motherfucker. I bought a drive that came with this. This is official software. This shouldn't be a problem. It also, you know, this drive is meant to handle some of the latest, uh, 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 you know, standards. 
So fine. Um, and one of the things that I have to do is I have to update the firmware, uh, like, or one of the recommendations to solve this, this loop that keeps happening with the AACS is to update the firmware on the disk drive or on the optical drive. Fine. Uh, it's hilarious because the firmware is dated 2014 on this drive. And the latest firmware update is from September 9th, 2017. Okay, fine. Whatever I do that still doesn't solve it. Okay. So, all right, let's see. Let, let's, I know, I know, you know, VLC player can play Blu-rays. Let's see what kind of horseshit I have to go through, you know, to, to make that work. And I go through the horseshit. I do, you know, there's, there's a couple of files that you have to, that you have to like, there's a config file and, and some library files, whatever that you have to download to make that work. And I go to play it. Doesn't work. Why? Because the, the crack, as it were, for VLC to be able to play Blu-rays is a year behind. Like, literally, it's from 2016. And we're almost in 2018. Okay, fine, whatever, fuck you. That, that's okay. I still love you, VLC, but whatever, I don't give a shit. I get this close to where I'm taking that hard-earned Patreon money and, say, you know, for Sovereign Tech and saying, all right, I'll buy the new version of power DVD just because this is, this is driving me nuts. I, and I don't have the time. I just don't have the time to deal with this. But then I say, yeah, you know, all right, hold on, hold on. What are the alternatives? Because I haven't really looked into like media playing software outside of VLC in a little while, you know? And so I was like, all right, let, let's, let's see what else is out there. So I do a search, checking stuff out. And I come upon what's called, I, I find like this top 10 list. And two of the pieces of software in the top 10 list say they're completely free. One of them, I look up, it's like Da player or something, and there hadn't been an update in a while. And so I'm like, oh, I don't have any confidence in this. And in fact, I there couldn't even really find uh, a fully official, uh, you know, official website for it, which you don't just want to go downloading software, especially something with codecs, because codecs can get pretty deep. <laughs> you know, in, in your OS. Uh, so I, you know, because it can end up be, you know, working across apps. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't want to do that. So the other piece of software I find is called, uh, Lewo, L E A W O Lewo. I'll call it Lewo or Lewo, maybe Lewo. How about that? Lewo player. Um, link is in the show notes for episode 254 folks. If you want to give this thing a shot. And obviously it's software out of China because China doesn't give a shit about IP or DRM. It seems for that matter. And good for you. I like, I like that attitude, baby. Woo. I install it takes, I mean, download it, you know, it's like a hundred some odd meg, whatever. Okay, fine. You know, it takes a minute or two. And then, uh, then I install it that hit that gets done in a minute or two, you know, so all together we're talking, you know, and then in one minute, um, you know, I, I, I double click. And I press and it, it automatically detects, um, you know, my E drive, which is the, the pioneer Blu-ray drive. It sees the Superman, the extended edition is in there. And I press play all together in five minutes with the solution. I'm finally fucking watching Superman after an hour of pure bullshit dealing with nothing other than DRM that I shouldn't have to deal with because I'm dealing because I mean, here, look, I paid the price. I laid down all the fees. I've got all the, I did all the latest firmware. I updated everything. I, you know, I, I've got the, all the latest updates on windows 10, the windows 10 copy. I've got, Oh, it's all official. Everything's, everything's by the book. And I still couldn't watch my fucking movie. I was so fucking livid because this, every time I hear somebody say, 
well, but don't you think that the, you know, the, the movie studios need to make money? Shouldn't you be paying for those films? Isn't it, you know, don't you think downloading movies is kind of bad or wrong? If you really love it, won't you pay for it? Yeah, I did pay for it. I paid for a, a movie that I've bought so many times in so many formats because the movie's from 1978 and I couldn't watch it. I did everything official and I couldn't fucking watch it. And I'm just, holy, what, what, what is going on? <laughs> I mean, this is. Folks, okay. Now you know you know the Golden Stallion's an anarchist. Okay. Now I don't I don't like to put any prefixes or suffixes on that if I can help it. All right. But I'll tell you, you know, a lot of I mean I have and, and my listenership also is a very wide range of anarchism. I've got anarcho-communists, syndicalists, ca- capitalists, whatever. You know, when I hear some of my audience complain about capitalism and all that. This is exactly what they're talking about. Because let me tell you what this racket was. This AACS thing, I really, I think this was all a fucking racket to have me, look, I already, I technically bought Power DVD 12. They wanted me to upgrade. They wanted, and this is it. If they keep pushing, they say it's to stop, they say, you know, I mean, this is what's so funny is that, you know, the movie industry, whoever, you know, the hardware manufacturers, whatever they say, AACS is all about, you know, we got to stop piracy that way that the movie studios can get paid and all that fucking horseshit. This is rent seeking. It's eternal goddamn rent seeking that everybody who has a critique about capitalism says is what happens. And it fucking happened. Yes, it did at this minute level. You would think that such a niche industry, which is supposedly a niche industry because everybody's fucking streaming shit. Nobody's buy, nobody's into physical media anymore. A bunch of minimalists, blah, blah, blah. Wah! You would think that the, you know, they'd be just happy to just get a little bit of money that they can out of this niche, you know, non-streaming analog industry. Well, it's not analog. I mean, this is digital as it gets, but you get my point. I'm not, look, I'm not critiquing. I get it. You know, capitalism just, just means free market. Well, supposedly for some people, but understand where some of these critiques come from. Cause this is, I mean, this is so God damned dumb that I had to go through that. Doesn't matter if you play it all by the book, they're still going to try. They're, they're going to try and squeeze every last little, little inch out of you. And thank you people of China for making a free piece of software, not giving a goddamn shit about the law and allowing me to download that piece of software. And look, if the Chinese government put some kind of spyware on my windows machine, I don't fucking care better them than the goddamn NSA. How much more money do I have to put down to watch a movie from 1978? You sons of bitches. It's ridiculous. Oh, well, do you understand that, that since like in the past two days, like I've gone to the theaters twice. Yeah. I used movie pass, but you know, the, the theaters don't care. Believe me. I know. Like the guy asked me today when I went to go see Thor, he's like, how do you like this movie pass thing? This is pretty cool. And then he told me, he says, actually, there's an even better deal. Look, the movie theaters don't care because people are coming in and they're getting paid anyway. They don't give a shit. They love movie pass. Okay, but that's the thing is like, look, yeah, I'm going to the movies. Hell, even if I didn't have movie pass this weekend, I would have gone to see Justice League and Thor. I would have paid full price. I don't give a shit. I'll see it. I'll, I'll pay money when I want to fucking see something. Do you understand how much more do you want from me? 
especially me. Do you understand? Do you realize? Do you, do you hear the amount of history that I'm laying out on you? Is because I have been, I, I've had this, this, this torrid love affair with the entertainment industry my whole life. I've given you everything, and you still want more. I'm being kind of funny, folks, in my anger. Please, please don't think that I consider this to be like the most important subject on planet Earth. I get it. They're starving people in Ethiopia. I know. Okay. But this is still bullshit. The abstract concepts, what the analogies that could be pulled from it, all of them are fucking terrible, though. You got to admit it. It's so bad. So I'm telling you, I'm telling you, in my opinion, if there were such a thing as morality, the moral thing to do would be to torrent and pirate every goddamn thing because these people are out of control. They are out of control. And if you're that passionate to where you're willing to go through all the work and whatever the hell it fucking takes, okay, to, you know, to, to either do the pirate thing or whatever, I mean, look, then you've got that passion. You're the best marketing in the world. When you're excited about the new Thor movie, when you're excited about a new Superman Blu-ray or, or a new version of Superman coming out, when you're excited about Justice League or whatever else like that, like you should be the, 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 the fucking movie theaters, the movie industry, I'm sorry, the movie industry, the entertainment industry overall, comic books, books, music, whatever. They should see you as the loss leaders because you're the marketing. You're the real marketing. You're the ones that are like, oh my God. I mean, do you know how many people do you know how many people I've convinced to like to become huge Star Wars fans? I did that. I know it. Do you know how many people I've convinced? And I've said this so many times because uh, sometimes when you listen to the show, you'll hear an ad for Babylon 5. I said, one day, Straczynski, the creator of Babylon 5, he's going to have to cut me a fucking paycheck because I know how many hundreds, if not thousands now, of people that I've gotten to watch that goddamn show. You can't get marketing better than a passionate fan about what you got. And baby, you should be paying them. They shouldn't have to buy your shit. But they would anyway, but then you make it fucking impossible for them. Fucking greed. It's like the goddamn, you know, in the 90s. Look, I, I really want to get into reviewing these films, okay? In the 90s, you had, what was the company, like Fleer? You had a bunch of these trading card companies. I was really into trading cards. Not not so much necessarily like baseball cards, even though I, I did like like baseball, you know, plenty fine. Uh, still kind of a fan. I mean, I, you know, I still suffer from Mets fan. I just, it flares up every once in a while. Okay. I'm, I'm from New York. What do you want? Uh, so not so much baseball cards, but like, you know, they had like the Marvel series three cards. I've talked about some of this stuff either on Sovereign Tech Prime or on a Patreon episode. Um, or I mean, you had all these different, you know, really cool, like DC comics had cards and, and they were awesome because you could read them and they were like mini history lessons. Each one of these cards, they were so great. And it started getting to the point to like, you know, you try to get complete sets and everything. And yeah, I mean, that, that was supposedly the point is yeah. Collect them all. And it got to the point, especially like in once it got past the mid nineties, when it got into the later nineties, it got to the point where like flair was like, Oh yeah, there's 20 hologram cards. You're not even guaranteed one hologram card. If you buy a box, because you know, you can either buy a pack or you could buy an entire box. And usually, and sometimes, you know, real serious collectors would buy an entire box because then uh, what used to be the order of the day back in the eighties, especially. And look, I know I was there. Okay. In the eighties, when you bought a box, you were effectively buying a complete set, you know, if you could afford that. But then it got to the point where you had to buy like five, six boxes to even dream of trying to get a complete set. It was mass mad. I mean, it was, you know, <laughs> yes, mass madness. It's crazy. 
I mean, and that's just pure fucking greed. What kid can fucking, I mean, look, and, and I came from a family that was pretty well off. All right. But what kid really can buy six, seven, eight boxes, not packs, boxes of cards to get a complete set. It's an insult. Don't tell me that that's the fucking market. Bull, shut up. They're kids. Man. I, look, you know, I, I say this all the time. I get it. You know, I know the Ayn Rand quote. I know it very, I know Ayn Rand very, very well. Okay. I know the quote, profit's not a dirty word. My response has been for years on this show. And it's my response. Very simply value. Isn't a dirty word either. And we've long lost value. Yeah, greed, whatever. Yeah, no, I, I get it. Greed. Oh, greed is good. Blah, blah, blah. Fuck. I, I don't care. But there is a point where, where it, it is just, it's, it's crazy. It's too much. It gets to the point where it insults the human condition, quite frankly. And it insults the fans and it pisses on the fans, the people that love you. And if you had any goddamn empathy, you wouldn't do it. Provide value for people and they will love you forever. They will follow you to hell. They will go through all the... All those years of where they get nothing and blah, blah, blah. And then when you're ready to come back, they will be there with open arms. Just don't piss on them. Don't treat them like shit. And the entertainment industry is just treating people like shit and mass. Even when they try to go do it by the book and by the numbers and play it the right way, they play it straight. You still fuck them. Fuck you. So with all that said, Let's review us some movies, shall we? Now, this is a very fortuitous, in my opinion, very fortuitous triad of films. Um, for And look, I've, I've reviewed and talked about the 78 Superman film many times on, on Sovereign Tech over the years. We talked about it again when Wonder Woman came out over the summer, uh, which was a phenomenal uh, film, by the way, well-deserving of any accolades and any, any, anything that it gets. That, that, that movie was just fucking amazing. Um, and, and the reason that I brought up the 78 Superman when actually Stephanie and I, uh, in fact, the review, you can listen to just my review of wonder woman. If you want to, if you're like a new listener, um, I put it on my YouTube channel, which just look up Brian sovereign on, on YouTube. You can find me. Um, maybe I should start putting my YouTube channel in the show notes. I don't know, because it's fairly popular. So, I mean, like my videos are fairly popular. I'm not saying I have a ton of subscribers or anything. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, so I brought up the 78 Superman when talking about Wonder Woman because uh, they made it very clear. The, the production team, the director, everybody involved with Wonder Woman said that they that the 78 Superman was their template. And, and uh, uh, bravo, clap, clap for them, because, yeah, if you you know, if you want to mimic the style of the one of the greatest movies ever made, and in my opinion, far and away, the greatest comic book movie ever made. Um, what's wrong with that? I think that's a fucking brilliant idea that, that that's called due diligence. That's called paying respect. Uh, that's called understanding your industry and your craft. So suffice it to say, and I mean, I'm, I'm going to break into a lot of more about the, the three hour extended edition of, uh, of the 78 Superman, but as far as, you know, I mean, I don't need to do a full review of the movie again. It's the greatest comic book movie ever made. That's enough. You know, and, and I bring this point up all the time. It is widely recognized. I say this every time it is widely recognized as the last American classic. Okay. 
I mean, that's how great a fucking film that is. Nothing touches it. Nothing. I mean, it can try, but it's not going to, it's just not. So that's, you know, I shouldn't have to say much else. It's that great of a movie. It, it is that movie. All right. But it, it's perfect to rewatch that when seeing, um, you know, a couple of big name comic book movies, right? Because you can compare it to the, you can compare them justice league and Thor Ragnarok. You can compare them to the best to the absolute best, that being the 78 Superman. So it was a very, again, very fortuitous set of circumstances that all three of these releases coincide, you know, very closely uh, to where they can be talked about in conjunction. And I'm happy to do that. Now, let me say outright, because I, you know, if you're a new listener to Sovereign Tech, look, I, I review movies all the time on the show. Okay. I don't often spend as much time as I'm spending now, but I think we're getting into a lot of other shit here too. But regardless, um, you know, a, a point that I've made either on Sovereign Tech Prime episodes or on Patreon episodes, which if you want to become a patron, go to SovereignTech.com. Uh, a point that I made often is that, you know, I like, I think mo- like comic book movies, especially Marvel movies, um, I'm tired of them. Like I'm just, I'm so, I'm so sick of them and because they're, they're playing it way too safe. They all have, it's just like pop music today where they, they figured out kind of like this, this formula that just creates the desired effect. And so there's no real originality. Everything's kind of safe. There's nothing really like you're, you're not going to get anything that you didn't expect. Nobody's really going to die. Or if they do die, it's not forever. Um, Thor Ragnarok certainly brings this point home because I mean, how many characters come back in this movie, you know, Hulk, Loki, whatever. And by the way, spoiler alerts abound. I'm, I'm not even gonna, I'm, I'm not gonna, you know, <laughs> I'm going to spoil the shit out of this stuff. Okay, so stop listening now if you want. But if obviously you already knew that Loki and, and Hulk were in Thor Ragnarok if you watched the fucking trailers. So I'm not giving away that much there, but just warning you from here on out. So, um, yeah, so comic book movies, I'm really sick of them. And, and not just like not just from Marvel, though Marvel's the most egregious, but I'm also in a way kind of sick of them from DC. Minus over the past year or so, uh, I thought Doctor Strange was something different was, you know, like visually compelling, uh, not to say that it strayed very far from Marvel's, uh, you know, boring, incredibly boring formula, but it was different. It was different enough. It had something special and Benedict Cumberbatch is pretty magnetic on screen. And so, you know, came together and it worked. All right. So Dr. Strange was, was, a, was surprisingly good. Uh, but also just because, you know, it was a cut above, other comic book movies over the past few years, that doesn't mean that it equates to being as great as say Iron Man or Iron Man two, um, you know, or, or, or something, you know, something or like man of steel, which I thought man of steel was phenomenal. You know, it's not, it's not at that level. It just happened to be like finally something fucking different out of the comic book industry or, you know, out of the, out of the movie slash comic book industry. Um, for those that don't know, also, I'm a huge comic book fan. I read so many comic books. I've read so many comic books. I mean, people actually, it's one of the number one things I get asked to talk about are comic books in general, not just the movies, but the comic books themselves, because I'm kind of a comic book historian. And so, you know, that, understand I'm bringing that baggage with me, but that bring, that sort of brings me to, uh, to another point. So yeah, I, I'm not interested in it really in, in modern comic book films, but another point I want to bring up is that. Something that for a few years now I was holding against films was how well do they, you know, one of my, an important thing that I like, especially when something say like a, a novel 
transfers to the big screen, you know, becomes a movie or a TV show or something like that. Uh, I'm really big on fidelity. And what I mean by that is how, how true do they stay to the source material? Uh, with comic book movies and I guess TV shows, but I don't watch comic book TV shows. I, I like the movie. The movies are bad enough. I can only imagine the TV shows like Supergirl and whatever are fucking horrendous. Okay. Uh, not that I have any problem with those characters or the fact that it's a woman. Obviously, I quite the opposite. Uh, you know, it, it's just like I, I'm. I can't do it. <laughs> okay. I have limited time, and I am not going to you know just like waste my time with banal shit. All right. So, and look, look, this is a pretty recent like development in my mind. It's not like I've hated comic book movies ever since they came out. In fact, the first few I really loved, you know, like I was really excited um, about this, but, but I guess two points that I, that I want to bring up. One is, is that I'm not holding comic book movies to any kind of fidelity anymore. There's no, there's just no point. They, they don't care. And it's not, in fact, it's not even that like, say, say the movie houses, you know, be it Fox or whoever, it's not that they don't care. They don't really necessarily have to. It's that the comic book houses themselves. Okay. Like Marvel and DC themselves, the ones that make the physical comic books, they don't care anymore. DC has rebooted their universe like four times in as many years. And that's not an exaggeration. And they have, they have like bullshit marketing when it comes to it too. It's, it's so, it's so batshit insane. And Marvel does the same thing. They, they've rebooted their universe at least three or four times in the past few years. Like it's, it's crazy. And I'm not against them like doing reboots. Like back in, you know, 96, 97, like I loved when Marvel did heroes were born. That was fucking awesome. Okay. Or having the ultimate universe or something like that. Like that's, that's fine. That can exist. I don't care. Okay. But like, it's just gotten so bad that you can't keep track. Like what's, you know, I mean, yeah, it's all fiction. Okay. But I mean, you just want to scream out. I don't know what's real because you don't, how the hell do they, how does DC and Marvel even keep track of this shit? So I, I have no, like, like the, the, the notions of fidelity, the notions of like canonicity and stuff like this. I just don't care anymore because they don't, they, they have no interest. They, I mean, they're just fucking with these characters right and left. They're just muddling up histories. You can't. And it's so funny because they, they, I don't even think they realize that they're shooting themselves in the foot. Right. Because if you don't have any kind of like actual history that people can look back on and read on, kind of like I always said with those trading cards, like those trading cards taught me decades of history about characters, even minor characters like power. Girl. Well, she's not a minor character anymore, but at the time she was, you know, like power girl or, I mean, and she's one of my favorites and you know, a, a bunch of others you know, you learned all this history. You're like, wow, that's so amazing. And even to a kid, they're just like, oh, there's a sense of history and that's all gone. You know, like, like the comic book industry doesn't have it anymore. Cause they just keep tossing out everything that they do. They keep saying, oh no, well, that doesn't matter. Fuck it. Oh no, that doesn't matter. Fuck it. They keep redoing origin stories and it's all so bad. Okay. So I don't, you know, fidelity has been a big thing that I've talked about on sovereign tech over the years. As far as comic book movies go, I don't hold them to it anymore. There's no point. They, they don't care. No, nobody in the industry gives a shit, not even the comic book writers, you know, I mean, and, and that's and shame on them for that really. Like, like I get it. They got to collect a paycheck. So fine. I understand, but shame on them for, for not standing their fucking ground as far as, uh, you know, having some actual history because, Look, when, when kids read comics, you know, when they grow up 10 years from now, they're probably not still going to be comic fans because there's no actual sense of history for them to look upon because you just kept rebooting the universe. And so, like I said, who the fuck knows what's real in a fictional universe? Hot damn, this Death Wish coffee's good. Mm. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, oh, got me a little hyped up tonight. All right. So um, now my the, the second point that I wanted to make is that 
like I, if anybody should be loving the shit out of these films, it should be somebody like me. Let me explain why. I remember in high school, so I was born in 1981, okay? I remember the time, not a Michael Jackson song, as great a song as that is. I remember the time when, like, there weren't comic book movies. I mean, there were, you know, you had, what was it, Reb, Reb Brown or whatever, you know, playing Captain America. I, I, you know, there, there was even, like, a Doctor Strange movie back then, you know, back, like, in the 70s and all the shit. Um, I mean, you had some movies... You know, you had Superman, obviously, uh, you had the Batman films, but you know, there, there certainly wasn't much of a showing from Marvel. I mean, the best thing you had going was maybe a Roger Corman movie, you know, or a fantastic four movie that never even, you know, really got technically got released. Um, you know, like when X-Men came out in the nineties, that was huge. That was the conversation is that look like I remember, and I, I've talked about this before. So one of the biggest things that we were wondering is, you know, you find out because you go to your local comic shop and everybody's talking about it. They're going to make an X-Men movie. This is going to be fucking awesome. And look, you're coming off of, you know, the 92 X-Men cartoon, right? Or the night, you know, that one of the greatest cartoons ever made next to Batman, the animated series, or actually I think Superman, the animated series is a little bit better, but anyway, you know, you're coming off of that. Right. Um, and you know, everybody's asking, okay, how do you, how exactly do you make Wolverine real? And, and I, I remember the conversations. Everybody was saying they can't do it. Like you can't, you really can't translate, not with any fidelity. You can't actually translate Wolverine to the big screen. Like you can't, you, who are you going to find? What kind of person could possibly be Wolverine? You know, with the big hair and all this different shit. Boy, were we wrong and gladly we were wrong. We were so happy to be wrong because Hugh Jackman was the fucking man. I mean, and that, and his Wolverine, I mean, now you, you picture Hugh Jackman, you know, when you think Wolverine more so than you picture, you know, the guy in the yellow tights and that's okay. He earned it because he delivers man. So, you know, I, my point being, I remember when, you know, we thought we actually thought as comic book fans, we thought comic book movies were impossible to do right. Like there was just no way that it could happen. We got proven wrong. Great. Okay. And, but now it's kind of, and, and so that's what I mean is that like, like we're the generation I'm of the generation that's hungry for comic book movies because we didn't think that they were possible, but, but we wanted them. We knew we wanted them. We just didn't think it could be done. Then we found out it could be done and holy shit, you know, but then what happens is, is they get as boring as the comic book industry. But I'm just saying that it's not like I'm against comic book movies existing the exact opposite. I want them to be. I just want them to be great instead of mediocre at best. So, okay. So let's start talking about these movies. <laughs> Finally. Uh, all right. Here's point three. Here's point three. Stop doing origin stories. Like I, I think the industry, the entertainment industry in general, civilization in general is so saturated with these characters, you know, and with, I mean, certainly Superman and cause we'll, I guess we'll start off with justice league. Um, you know, Superman and, and, you know, wonder woman and Batman and the flash and whoever else. I mean, if anything, people are at least seeing their kind of their television allegories, which are, are uh, not allegories. Their, their, their television equals or part, part well, it's terrible. I can't even think of the word. They're adjacent television shows where it's far easier to do an origin story. Okay. Um, and, and more practical to, you know, to do that. 
but you really don't need to do any kind of origin story, even with like, because really, so justice league, yeah, it's had some buildup, right? Because justice league is the culmination of at least the movie man of steel, uh, Batman V Superman dawn of justice. Right. I mean, that's why they called it dawn of justice, which by the way, I reviewed the ultimate edition of that recently. The ultimate edition wasn't that bad. Wasn't great, but it wasn't bad. And then, of course, she had the genuinely great Wonder Woman movie. So all of these are buildups to this Justice League movie. So you've kind of already had an origin thing. But then sort of the whole deal with the Justice League movie was introducing you to characters and giving you an, an origin of how they became the Justice League. This movie was OK. And that's it. It's just OK. It was mediocre. Um. One of the ways that they could have improved it right out of the gate is the point I'm making. You could have, you know, just skip, just skip the origin. Don't, don't even bother. Just get right into the action. Just, you know, have open it right up with some kind of villain. And it's, you know, Flash, Cyborg, Superman, Batman, whoever, whoever you want involved, maybe Green Lantern. There was plenty of hints in the movie that uh, Green Lantern was coming down the pike. We know how well that worked out last time. And I'm a huge Green Lantern fan. And I'm telling you, Ryan Reynolds, hey, um, you know, just, just have them taken on and, and like, believe me, all you have to do is say, you know, maybe have Wonder Woman say, we're the Justice League. That's all you need. Everybody's going to know what's going on. There is no, there is zero purpose to doing an origin story. Even for kids, you think kids give a shit about an origin story? No, they don't care. They just want to see bing, bang, you know, boom and smash something. Not quoting the Hulk because it's a different company. So they wasted a lot of time on that. Now, obviously, one of the main cruxes of the entire movie is bringing Superman back, which they did kind of a shitty job of killing him off in Batman v Superman anyway. Uh, so, you know, that's problem number one. Uh, I, I would, I mean, frankly, you could have solved it like with an opening crawl and just explained all that shit, you know, and then just went right into it and Superman's back, blah, blah, blah. Um, one of the major critiques I'll get into other things like music and, uh, you know, direction and a lot of the other stuff. I mean, because let's be clear here, justice league was a mess of a film for a lot of reasons. There's a lot of production issues. Uh, I'll talk about a few of those. We'll get into to some of those things. Okay. And then we, again, we've got two other movies to get to here. So, um, one of the initial problems and it's bad because it opens the movie up and it's not a sign of good things to come. So I, me personally, Special effects, not the biggest deal for me. Like, you know, if I see the cracks in the CGI, usually it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter much. Um, you know, what matters to me is overall presentation, um, you know, story, characters, music, uh, you know, th things like this. There, there's other areas where I think the quality really matters more so than making sure your special effects are perfect. That said, when some special effects, the reason that they exist are so strange that I can't help but notice it and I can't help, but, and, and you notice it whether you knew about it or not. So one of the weird things with justice league, and maybe some people realize this, maybe they don't, um, is that Hen uh, uh, Henry Cavill who plays, uh, who plays Superman. He, at the same time that he was, or about this pretty much the same time that he was, or that he had to do the reshoots for justice league, not the original, but the reshoots, which there were significant reshoots as I understand it. Okay. Where they had to shoot scenes later on. Um, he was also filming uh, mission impossible six, which I'm excited for. I love the mission impossible movies. 
And in the Mission Impossible movies, he was required to he, he needed to have um, like a mustache, at least, uh, I guess, like, a I don't know if it's full beard and mustache or what exactly how that all chalked up. But anyway, the uh, Paramount, which is behind the Mission Impossible series, you know, to, I guess was going to take Warner Brothers pretty much to court if they if if Warner Brothers required Henry Cavill to shave off his mustache. No joke. I know this sounds ridiculous. It's dead serious that they said, no, Henry Cavill has to keep his mustache. Now this is kind of a, I mean, we know that he had to keep his mustache. There's no doubt about that. The reasons behind it, there's some debate and it's all coming from, you know, maybe not the most reputable sources of what exactly happened, but pretty much through a huge chunk of the movie justice league, they had to CGI over Henry Cavill's mustache. And you can really fucking tell, like, especially in the beginning of the film, um, where, where it opens up with Superman, you know, like on the cell phone recording or something, you can really see like his mouth looks weird. It's bad. (laughs) I mean, it's really bad. And it's funny because, you know, according to some of these sources, like Warner brothers said, look, it's actually much easier for you to CGI a beard than it is for us to de-CGI one. You know, so, so here, in fact, apparently Warner brothers even said to Paramount, we will cover the entire cost of what it takes to CGI a beard on. If, if you could just let us shave his mustache and apparently Paramount said, no, it is the weirdest shit in the world. I mean, it's a crazy ass story. I don't know, you know what the deal was there, but it did take away from the film because you can't help but notice it that your main guy, Superman looks off, looks very odd. (laughs) through a lot of the film. And I I mean, I guess good thing he was sort of dead because at least then you could explore a good hour of the film um, without having to use all that CGI. But then at the same time, I think that's what actually hurts it is because you don't really have, you're, you're, you're spending time on a completely unnecessary origin story and you're not just having all your characters together in full force because when all the characters are together, Superman, Flash, Cyborg, Wonder Woman, Batman, which is what comprises the justice league in this movie. I mean, there's some fairly funny moments. There's some fairly cool moments. There's some fairly good times uh, involved, especially when Superman's there, you know? So it's a shame that, that that's how that worked out. And I'm not saying I know all the reasons why that happened. And again, a lot of this is speculation or from disreputable or not, not like totally reputable sources. But regardless, it, it hurt the film. It really hurt the film. Uh, the, you know, I guess this could be point four of problems with films. Um, another problem that this certainly that this film had that pretty much every, every comic book movie and maybe even every movie, not just comic book movies, but most movies are having today is that, um, the villains are, which in this case, the villain was uh, Steppenwolf, which whatever that, that, that's, an, that's an okay choice. And actually, when you watch um, the ultimate edition of Batman v Superman, uh, you there is a scene where you see uh, Steppenwolf, even though I was one of the people that thought maybe that was Yuga Khan, which is Steppenwolf's brother-in-law. And actually, Yuga Khan is the father of Darkseid, which is what everybody, you know, that's the big warning of what was coming in uh, a lot of what you saw with like the Omega symbol and everything in um you know, the Omega beams, uh, you know, that was, that was happening in, in, uh, Superman or Batman v Superman. Um, you know, whatever, I, I would have loved it if it was Yuga Khan, that would have been a lot more interesting, uh, because I think you would have had a, a, 
a much better uh, attachment to apocalypse and you know the the you know the planet apocalypse but whatever okay i mean that, that that's that's fine that it's steppenwolf but you get you really get like no this is the problem is that villains have no seemingly no real i mean they'll give them a little bit of a backstory like they explain a little bit where steppenwolf came from and they kind of touched on a bit i mean they actually did a better job of explaining who steppenwolf was and giving some of his origin and maybe his motivation uh, in this movie than most comic book movies do as far as with their, with their villains. But the thing is like, no villains are well-developed anymore. It It's not just a comic book movie thing either. Like, I mean, they're really doing a shit job of developing the villains. It's just like, Oh, bad guy. And you know, there, I kind of, I have a little bit of a theory on this. Um, and my theory is, is, I mean, and, and I, I don't have a whole lot to substantiate this, but it, it just a theory I'm tossing out there. The speculation is that I think in today's world, with what you have to show on TV and every or on, on in you know on the movie screen, you know, usually you have to show cell phone, a lot of different shit. I think that if you explained the motivations or if you tried to develop a villain in any significant way, you would see that the bulk of the people who are gracing the covers of Time magazine, People magazine, Newsweek, and whatever else are also all totally reminiscent of comic book villains. Really? <laughs> I think I think that might be it. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and it's a shame because actually in comic books, villains, you get great, huge backstories as far as why they're doing things. And, and they're almost more heroic than, well, well, I have a whole theory. I mean, I, I like the villains in some ways more than I like the heroes, but regardless, <laughs> that that's just kind of what I got. It's like, is that I think if people watched, uh, you know, like, oh, wh- you know, what's the driving force behind? And if you really took the time and really spent a ton of time, um, you know, going over like what the villain is trying to do, what their actual plan is and and like going in depth with that and with their story. And again, their motivations and emotions and all that stuff. Um, you'd find out that, that most of the people in power today are, are, I think people would see, I I think they'd see the corollaries that, yeah, (laughs) wait a minute. We have these people and we have these super villains in real life and they're in charge of us. Oh fuck. You know, in fact, particularly like with the 78 Superman, Lex Luthor. Now you get no origin over who Lex Luthor is or how he's even necessarily able to do everything he's doing, but you get absolute understanding of his character, of his motivation, of his plan and all of that. And he totally plays up absolutely like a Donald Trump all the way. It's, I, I mean, it, it's creepy just how, <laughs> so, you know, I, sometimes I wonder if that's why they don't want to spend too much time on the villain. Cause they don't want to, they don't want people to realize, Hey, wait a minute, we're villains. Anyway, um, so yeah, whatever, Steppenwolf, blah, blah, he's powerful, yada, yada, he fought in ancient, you know, they have to build up some kind of history within the movie because you're sure as hell not going to get the history in the comic books anymore. Uh, so, you, you know, you spend five minutes on some history that looks interesting and go, ooh, ah, oh, this is ancient, oh, this is long coming, oh, I should care, you know, and, and, and all this crap, and fine, okay, I mean, maybe, maybe more uh, mundane people, you know, somehow buy into it, but... Um, yeah, so the villain, not, not that impressive. Uh, the characters, you know, the heroes, let's talk a little bit about the heroes. Uh, Flash was actually, was actually pretty funny. <laughs> like that little Jewish kid was actually pretty, like, I mean, he was de- definitely the, you know, the comedic aspect. Uh, and, and he, he, he delivered, and this is really like the first full film you got to experience him in any way. Um, and that was impressive on his part, like really 
many ways greater than the sum of the parts of the entire film. You know, uh, the flash really stood out and it's questionable whether or not he's going to get a full on film. Now, maybe he can't carry a full film and maybe he's just the court jester. Okay. I'm open to that. So I'm not necessarily saying that I feel bad that we may never get a flash movie. You know, this is already a TV show, not that they're related in, in, in a meaningful way. Um, but yeah, whatever. I mean, maybe he just works when he's, when he's in a, in a team setting that seems to be like flashes, I mean, I, I, I guess the TV show is really great because the flash has always, always been a second rate character, whether it's Wally West or Barry Allen or whoever, it's always, he's always been like a team guy. Somehow he's held the title, you know, his, his a solo title. Not always he'd lose it. You know, there'd be years where there was no flash title, but yeah, I don't know. That, that, not that big a deal. Anyway, Aquaman, uh, this is another guy who Aquaman was kind of a joke up until the nineties when they really like played up the whole Arthur Curry thing. Uh, and they did, they did a pretty solid, you know, Jason Momoa did a hell of a job, you know, making him sexy. That was, that was a nice move. Uh, I think on, on their part, that was a winning idea. Uh, but otherwise, I don't know. I, I was actually kind of annoyed by his more surfer dudeish attitude. And I like surfer dudes. Some of my best friends are surfer dudes and they're brilliant people. Um, I just, I, I thought they went maybe a little over the top of that, but making him sexy, that, that was, that was a good move. Uh, I thought that, uh, Batman, little weak this time around, little weak, not really living up to being the dark brooding Batman and also, but also not in any way more of like a, a Michael Keaton or even an Adam West style Batman, uh, you know, really a, a, a very, not a unique take, but a, a very rare take, um, on Batman on the part of Ben Affleck. So, uh, now the shining star in the film easily to, and I mean, and, and she's, she's so shining star in this. She's funny. She's sexy. She's brilliant. She, you know, she, she actually brings, if anybody had any kind of character depth outside of maybe the flash, she brings it. And the flash did have some, some, some okay character depth in this. Um, she really brought it. In fact, she, I mean, and of course I'm talking about wonder woman, Gal Gadot. I mean, just, just delivers. She just fucking delivers. It, it was so, she was so awesome. In fact, even like, you know, the, the entire crux of the, you know, Superman coming back from the dead and all this, like she sold it. Henry Cavill was, I, I don't know. I don't know what's wrong. Like man, man of steel, I thought was great. Like, I, I really think that is a great movie. Uh, maybe I'll talk about why I think that a little bit later when we get into 78 Superman, uh, you know, the extended edition of that. But I thought he was fantastic as Superman. And in this, and I don't think it was just the CGI'd off mustache. Something wasn't right. He didn't look right. It was just, it was very off. And she, she made it, she made it very believable. Like when, when she would call him Kellel and, and all that, like, I, I don't know. It just made it when she said Kellel, A, that was hot. B, like it felt like it was a lot more serious that she, that she was calling him that and that she would call him by his, you know, his, you know, name of origin and all that. Uh, I don't, I don't know. It just like, it, it made it kind of more of an epic moment. I mean, she, she just, she made the entire film. Um, I'll say, I'll say quick. I don't mind if they decide to, if Warner brothers decides to make the wonder woman universe, a completely separate continuity from whatever the fuck they're trying to do with justice league or Batman or even man of steel Two. supposedly that's happening. Um, I have absolutely no problem with that. If, if they decide to do that, please, by all means, go ahead. 
because she is the best thing you've got going. She can take on the entire Marvel universe, the entire Marvel uh, cinematic universe on her own. So you, you better take care of that and, and do it quick. <laughs> so, but anyway, but in justice league, I mean, she, she just, she stole it. And, and I admittedly, like I had the bias too. I knew I was going in with like, yeah, I'm just here to see wonder woman. Uh, even though, like I said, I liked Henry Cavill as Superman, but I was even, you know, what things that I had heard and whatever, it just, it just sounded off. And yeah, it was off when you finally see the movie. Um, so yeah. So now as far as like, how did Superman deliver? Yeah. I mean, he, you know, it works, it's passable, but it just didn't, it didn't feel as, he didn't feel as powerful. You can say, well, he just came back from the dead. No, he needs to be as fucking powerful. Um, it didn't feel as powerful as he was in man of steel or even in Batman V Superman. Like he, he, he didn't deliver that same performance. Like the Superman and Batman V Superman is the Superman that was in man of steel. The Superman in Justice League was not the same Superman that was in those two movies. Same actor, but it was just off. It just, it, it didn't exactly work. Not to say that they didn't deliver great moments when the entire team was together, you know, with Superman included. Like there were some very funny lines and some, some interesting things that happened, but overall, I don't, I, I didn't, I didn't necessarily feel like it worked. So, but again, credit to this movie, there were some, like I kind of just mentioned, there were some laugh out loud moments, which that's impressive. If any movie can do that today, that isn't a straight comedy. Um, the music to talk about that. I mean, the effects, the effects were, were, were kind of a grab bag, you know, not again, like I said, not that I necessarily care about effects, but this one had some very strange, like cyborg. I would have done cyborg differently. That character, by the way, was, was fine. You know, they, they, they didn't have any. Uh, you know, no, no real issues there, but then you didn't get a whole lot of thrust for the character either. And it, and Victor wasn't able necessarily to deliver like a, a an important role as much as say the flash did. So cyborg, you know, eh. uh, I mean, I love the character of cyborg and I think when they eventually kind of made the part of the character, not in the movie, but in the comic books in general, that he was like, you know, part of, uh, kind of, you know, uh, apocalypse technology like that. That was a really cool idea, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. It just wasn't, it wasn't necessarily there. And, and his, the effect of him didn't look, didn't look right. And it's funny too, because I almost feel like they were rushing so much with production of this film that that's why they made his cyborg parts look very rough because at the end of the film, he kind of enhances it. And then you get what looks more like the comic book cyborg where there's very defined parts and all that, not where it looks like a bunch of kind of silvery rocks put together. And I think that's really just because they couldn't finish the effects or they couldn't afford the effects throughout the film. And they had to make it look rough so that, you know, the effect would, would at least be passable. So that's another, just another part of the production that I thought was, was really, really shady with this film. Um, so yeah, the effects overall, I mean, a lot of them were fine, but I don't know. There, there, there was a lot of glaring problems. Cyborg, the mustache, uh, even Steppenwolf kind of looked a little weak at points. Um, everything that was going on, like on Themyscira and, you know, again with Wonder Woman, all that, all that stuff was great, but otherwise ah, it, it just, it, I don't know. It wasn't exactly there. Some of the stuff that like some of Batman's technologies, like his crawling tank, a lot of these other things seem completely out of place. I mean, there, there was a lot of oddities, I think with this film, uh, now the music in, and we'll get to the direction here in a second. Uh, I mean, the, or, let me just say this quick, the story overall, the story was kind of fine. But it was just fine. You know, like 
it should, like I said, it shouldn't have been an origin story. They should have gone with Yuga Khan instead of Steppenwolf or even bring on Darkseid already. Uh, you know, they, they really, they should have been because Steppenwolf's not a big enough character to take on what Marvel has going on this year, you know, with, um, uh, with, with bringing in Thanos. And they, they should have just brought in Darkseid straight up. And I mean, cause you can go bigger than Darkseid. There's, there's other characters you could run with where it could get really interesting. So I thought that that was, uh, that was a mistake to, you know, to run with that villain and to do an origin story. So the story's fine, but again, it's just fine, you know, and, and the rebirth of Superman, the, the death and return of Superman should be its own goddamn movie. In fact, it is, it's an animated film, but it, it should have been, it, it should have been a full, if it was live action, it should have been a full live action film. It should not have been wrapped up in as much as the uh, Warner brothers has been doing. So they're, they're really dropping the ball on a lot of that, uh, because they have huge, they have some of the greatest stories ever told in comic book history, and they're just mishmashing and remixing them in ways that, that I don't think deliver the, the punch, um, that, that the comic book versions of them do. So story, nah, you know, whatever. Uh, again, there was points where it was funny. Some of the writing was okay. I thought Batman came off very weak uh, as a character, which was unfortunate. Um, it was interesting to show some history, and there was constant dropped hints of the Green Lantern Corps. Okay, you know, that that was a nice touch. I'm, I'm glad you did that. But otherwise, I don't know. Didn't do anything for me. Uh, the music, music was by Danny Elfman. Uh, this was interesting. The, the, this is worth talking about a bit. Music is a very important part of film. It's one of the first things I like to talk about with a film. I'm talking about it a little bit later on with this movie than I usually would with the film. But uh, but the music in this was interesting because you got hints of the original Batman theme as an original from uh, what was the 87 or 89, whatever, when, when the, from the Tim Burton Batman film, you know, you know, that whole thing. You got hints of that, which of course, Danny Elfman scored that. I mean, that's his, you know, that shit he wrote. Uh, so of course he's going to use it. So you got hints of that, but they didn't let it get to full, full luster. You know, they, they didn't let it, let it really go to crescendo. You just kind of got hints. And I thought that was dumb. Like, let, let that baby ride because you're going to, you're going to at least pull on some nostalgia strings on some of the audience and people are going to walk out and say, oh man, yeah, that, that point I got those goosebumps and it felt great. And they, they just, they fucked it up. And I mean, I don't know if that was Danny Elfman's call or whose call it was, but I, I, I think they dropped the ball on that. Then there were also little hints of John Williams Superman theme. Now here's an interesting thing with that. You know, again, this is as far as music goes. So John Williams, uh, Superman score soundtrack, easily one of, one of the greatest soundtracks in history. I mean, it's right up there with star Wars. It's right up there, you know, take your pick. It's right up there with them. I mean, that's some epic shit, you know, whether they're playing the Krypton theme or the Superman theme or, uh, you know, love theme, whatever, whatever they're rocking. Okay. I mean, it's, it's just epic shit. Um, to not now what's, what's interesting is man of steel was scored by Hans Zimmer. And I thought that Hans Zimmer's Superman theme for a man of steel was incredible. And that's saying something because like, I, I, I said, you know, there's no way you could get kind of the same feels as the original Superman score. And I'm not saying Hans Zimmer's man of steel score is as good as that, but it's damn close, you know? And I mean, it's damn close. When you listen to it on the soundtrack, you don't even need the two disc version of the man of steel soundtrack. When you listen to like flight and end titles, I mean, you just feel it now there's actually, and, and I, if I can think of it, I'll put it in the show notes. I might not think of it though. So you're gonna have to look it up for yourself. Uh, on YouTube, a guy made a remix of where he combined Hans Zimmer's Superman theme 
with John Williams Superman theme and it works and it is man you and I've talked about it before and I think I've played it actually on on the show before uh like like for about 40 seconds of listening to this and it goes for about 5 minutes for about 40 seconds of it you I almost thought I could fly I mean like it's that epic it gives you you know those kind of feels baby and, <laughs> oh man so you could do like, obviously those, those two themes could kind of work together and they didn't take advantage of that, man. You have so much great. You had such a, uh, I mean, they did use, you know, thankfully for, for a brief moment, um, when one woman is kicking some ass in the bank, they did use, you know, the really great, uh, wonder woman music, you know, you know, that whole thing. And that was really, I mean, that was great, but you have such a rich history, musical history, obviously that Warner brothers is willing to pull from They'll They'll pull from John Williams. They have Danny Elfman scoring the damn thing. You know, bring it in. I mean, you're, you're going to, you know, you can look just playing the original Superman theme in full force pretty much guarantees you at least an 80 million opening weekend. Seriously, I'm not really, it would, you know, so why not? And they dropped the ball. I mean, look, I've listened to the soundtrack a couple times over now, you know, it's completely separate from the film before I even saw the film. I listened to it. I'm like, oh yeah, you know, this is pretty good, but it just never reaches those heights that it should have reached. It really should have reached those, especially when you're hearing about how, well, we don't know if there's going to be another justice league movie. Well, we don't know if there's going to be this movie, blah, blah, you know, you should have. So now direction. Now this is kind of crazy because Zack Snyder originally was making this film. Then there was some kind of family tragedy in between. And they actually brought in Joss Whedon, who is no, you know, considered kind of the, the granddaddy for uh, the Avengers and for a lot of the success that Marvel is, uh, you know, presently enjoying. Um, Joss Whedon obviously didn't help the film at all. Uh, I, you know, and a lot of people, a lot of DC fans were kind of clamoring saying, Hey, is there some kind of Zack Snyder cut of this? Like, did he have an original idea and we're not seeing it, you know, of, of this film? Um, I'm sure Zack Snyder had something maybe a little bit different in mind just because Zack Snyder and Joss Whedon have two very different styles. Um, I'm a bigger fan of Zack Snyder's work than I am of Joss Whedon's look, take it easy. I'm a huge Buffy fan. Okay. I love dollhouse. I'm not going to talk about firefly, but cause I'm just, oh, oh. but doll, dollhouse. And, and I mean, Hey, I get it. But I mean, let's remember, this is the guy that made alien resurrection. Okay. Let's let, never forget. Uh, so anyway, I, you know, Joss Whedon, I don't think he helped with this at all, but this is, I mean, it just goes to show like that when you had to bring in a guy midway through, I mean, this is a film, this is a very, a very troubled film. And I think every ounce of that trouble shows, uh, the only part of it that, that really shined the whole time was wonder woman. She was absolute perfection and, and just dynamite. And in many ways, she probably say her and the scenes on Themyscira and all that saved this fucking film. So it's not necessarily bad, not a bad film. Wonder woman alone keeps it from being bad, but it is mediocre. It's very mediocre. It is just okay. And I know a lot of people are, a lot of critics are saying, well, you know, this is a, this is a good start for things to come. And, and when they say that, I agree that this is, this is the start of what could be very great things, especially if they start bringing in Green Lantern and they do it right, but they got to do it right. And I don't know that they can do that, but that's the thing. What you're saying when you say that is that fuck, if they didn't waste time with an origin story, we could have had a great movie. And that's my point. 
<laughs> That's my whole point is that this should not have been any kind of an origin story for any of the characters. It should not have been an origin story for the justice league. Just have the league together from the beginning. People will get it. They don't need it. They don't, they, they, these, these, all of these characters are cultural icons. You don't need to explain shit. Just do it. So, um, now because of, you know, the, these kinds of reviews, like one that I, that I just gave uh, for this film, a lot of people say, well, you know, but Marvel, they're, they're doing great. They're hitting it out of the park every time they are delivering. They do not have these problems. They are making it happen. No, sorry. Uh, no, <laughs> like I said, other than Dr. Strange, look, there's some Marvel movies that are really enjoyable. Um, there, there's some that get like way overhyped. Like I think Captain America civil war is way overhyped. Like it was a good movie. It wasn't one of the greatest movies ever. And that's the claims that I hear. I think you're full of crap when you say that. Sorry. Uh, like one of the best things in that was, was easily black Panther boy. Now there's a movie I'm excited to see. I'll admit, I want to see black Panther, uh, because it looks like they're doing Wakanda, right? Where it's all, you know, like hyper advanced and everything. Fuck. Yeah. I am game for that shit. Uh, so black Panther excited for that one. I'll admit that. There you go. I don't hate all comic book movies. Um, but yeah, civil civil war. Eh, eh. Uh, I mean, there, there have been, you know, the Iron Man movies have been, you know, good to great, like one and two, I thought were great films. Um, I, you know, really enjoyed those. I mean, like they're, they're out there the, you know, some of these movies are, are, are pretty good. Okay. But they're not very few of them are genuinely great. Very few of them are, are, are even beyond mediocre. Uh, and Thor Ragnarok which the first Thor movie I thought was pretty good. You know, Natalie Portman, Kat Dennings, it kind of worked. Uh, second Thor movie, Dark World, eh, not bad, but I, I, I reviewed the, I, I reviewed, was it Dark World, right? I reviewed the second Thor movie and I had my problems with it. I, like, I think there's logistical problems. There's other things that just don't make any fucking sense with the movie. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, now those movies are fantastic. Right. I mean, those are like Marvel's knocking it out of the park with those, but those have been other than, you know, with the upcoming Avengers movie have been largely separate from the rest of the Marvel universe. And maybe that's why they've worked so well. Uh, so Thor Ragnarok, you know, I mean, just putting it right out in front, another one, mediocre, just mediocre, not great. I'm amazed that this is getting as good of reviews as it is because it's not that good. Uh, it is funny at points, but that's, I think that that kind of lends itself to the problem. Like, I mean, there's, yeah, there's real laugh out loud moments, uh, you know, running with something reminiscent of the planet Hulk storyline, you know, where Hulk's a gladiator and all this, uh, that was a nice move the, uh, you know, Hulk. I, I really like the, the character of Hulk. I'm not like the biggest Thor fan. I, I, I admit that, but I'm, I'm super familiar with the character. Uh, so you know, yeah, I mean, it, it was, again, it's just, it was just, it was mediocre because, yeah, there were some laugh out loud moments. Some of the action was really solid. Jeff Goldblum was really funny. Uh, you know, there's a lot of those, those aspects that, that worked and you have, at least in the Marvel cinematic universe, you do have a sense of about a decade of history, which is a lot better than the comic books have, uh, that, that you get to play off of a familiarity that makes you feel welcomed into the universe that you're, that you're viewing on the screen. So that's one of the things that, yeah, I'll say Thor is better, was better than justice league. Thor Ragnarok was a better movie than justice league, but not by much, but that's one of the things that, that made it that way. Uh, what I think could have put this movie over the top, 
well, not as an over the top, isn't cheesy. What I mean, I mean, like what could have made it a great movie instead of just like mediocre or what could have even brought it to good? It really did. And it tried with like Hulk and, Scar- and, uh, uh, um, and, uh, Black Widow, but it didn't have any like sad moments. And we're, well, this'll, this'll be relevant when we talk about the 78 Superman here in a minute or in, in a few minutes. It didn't really have any sad moments. It's all, there was a lot of laughter, a lot of, I mean, even when, and, and I know, and they also tried because spoiler alerts, you know, Odin dies in it, but it just kind of happens, you know, and you sort of, I think, uh, in a meta way, you kind of expect it like in a breaking the fourth wall kind of way you expect it because look, Anthony Hopkins is fucking old. Okay. <laughs> you know, you got to get rid of the character because he might die tomorrow. You know, and I, and I say it with all respect to Anthony Hopkins, who I think is a tremendous actor. Okay. There's a reason he had to kill him at the end of uh, Westworld season one. Spoiler alert. I mean, because you, you don't know if he's going to be here tomorrow, you know? And so like, it just kind of happened and, and it wasn't even like that interesting of a way for Odin to go, uh, which you would expect a lot more, you know, from Odin, <laughs> right? So yeah, I, you know, it, it didn't, it just, I think it tried at certain points, but like the, you know, to be a great movie, not, you don't have to do this because there's other ways that something could be great, but to be a genuinely great movie and to stand a cut above, you really have to traverse the entirety of, I think, you know, the emotional spectrum, not, not to, not to quote <laughs> or not to reference Green Lantern, different universe. Uh, but, but you really have to ride the emotional spectrum. You got to have the laughter. You got to have the sad. And that's another thing. I mean, actually that's something else. Justice league really dropped. Um, you know, let me talk about that for a second. All right, let, let's go back to justice league for a minute because they didn't do this either. And there's two ways that they could have done it and they, and they failed. So you have an incredible actress like Diane Lane playing Martha Kent, playing Superman's mom, you know, or Clark's mom. And when they, you know, when Superman comes back from the dead and he encounters her, it, the, the, the moment has no emotion. It has nothing behind it. Not really. And that's pretty bad when you have an actress like Diane Lane and you're, and you're fucking up the screen time to where it doesn't work. Part of it was, I think also the CGI uh, mustache. In fact, even the scene when it happens, he's like, you can tell he's on some weird background with weird lighting to help hide the CGI. It's so bad. Cause like the sun's kind of, you know, it's like, uh, like dusk. It's very weird. So Diane Lane didn't deliver on it, or I mean, I don't, I don't blame Diane Lane. She's a tremendous actress. Uh, the other thing is, is that what the fuck they keep fucking up Lois Lane. And I know this has been the Lois Lane that was in, that was in Man of Steel. I know it's the same Lois, same actress, you know, that was in, uh, uh, you know, Dawn of Justice that was in Batman v Superman. I get it. Look, no offense to the actress. She's not Lois Lane. She doesn't deliver Lois Lane. There is no, you don't get the sass. You don't get the emotion. You don't get like the first thing Lois Lane probably should have done when she sees Clark or Superman is she should have slapped him across the face or something. I mean, like, like that's kind of how it should have went down. They always, even it's the one failing with the 78 Superman and Margot Kidder's a hell of an actress. I'm not knocking her. Okay. But she's not Lois Lane either. The only time we've ever really had a great Lois Lane, there was two points where we've had a really great or well, three points where we've had a really great Lois Lane. You had a tremendous Lois Lane in the Max Fleischer cartoons from way back when. Okay. You had a tremendous Lois Lane in Superman, the animated series. In fact, a perfect Lois Lane in that. And you had Terry Hatcher in Lois and Clark. 
Terry Hatcher was jaw droppingly amazing as, as Lois Lane. We otherwise the Loises have sucked like, and it's a pity because I mean, it's a great character. Lois Lane is one of the greatest comic book characters of all time by a long shot, you know, but the actress they had playing her in, in justice league and, and in the DC cinematic universe over the past few years, look, I know people, I know personal people in my personal life, personal friends who would smoke that gal as Lois Lane. I mean, like they would, they, they, they'd be such a great Lois Lane. It, it, it mind boggling. So I'd love to see it, frankly. Okay. It just didn't happen, man. You dropped the ball with Lois Lane and, and Lois Lane is part of what, that's part of displaying Superman's emotions and, 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 and kind of humanity so that people can relate to him and you fucked that up. So yeah, you, you, you had the opportunity for those sad emotions in justice league and it didn't deliver Thor Ragnarok dropped it across the board as well. Um, just, you know, just as bad. So, so you don't, you don't get that full spectrum to where, you know, you get some ups and downs and can, and can enjoy it. And, and, Look, if, if they didn't try, I'd say, okay, fine. They wanted Thor Ragnarok to be very light and campy, but they tried and they failed, you know, Marvel, Marvel failed. Okay. Um, so yeah, the, the, the movie is very campy it has a very 80s style. I'm a little annoyed by a lot of the 80s stylings going on in film right now. I mean, it, it just goes to show that it's just marketing. They're, they're just running with because, you know, they have like a generational timeline that they run on. Uh, right now, the people that they feel would spend the most money in films are people who would remember 80, the 80s fondly and, ha- and like and appreciate kind of 80s stylings. So they're appealing to them. You know, I don't know what's in fact, just just kind of a, a, a side point here quick. I don't know what's going to happen in 20 years because with that generational thing, like right now, you know, you ha- the eighties has a very set style. The nineties has a very set style and you know, it does, you know, it when you see it, the seventies has had a very set style. The sixties sure as fuck had a very set style and you can go back and, and you can recognize, like, you know, when something's in the thirties, you know, when something's in the forties, you might even have a good idea when something's in the fifties, you know, when you, sh- you definitely know when something's in the sixties or the seventies, eighties or nineties. I don't think like now we're like generation, nothing. I mean, the aughts, and other than what copied the nineties, the aughts and like the, the, the tens or whatever the fuck we're in or the teens that we're in right now, it has no style. It has like, there's no like culturally, in my opinion, no culturally recognizable style. And that's going to end up being a problem because like, what cues can you rely on? Like in the nineties, they tried to appeal to people from the sixties. You, you can tell, watch shit from the nineties. You're going to see, you know, some flower girl stuff, uh, you know, in those glasses and all this other weird shit. Okay. Um, and, and, and then, you know, and there's, there's been other points like right now, kind of the hot thing is, is sort of the eighties and even the nineties, really. It's why you're bringing back Jurassic park. It's why you're doing a lot of this other stuff. I don't know what you're going to do in 10, 20 years. I, I mean, like, I, I don't think you can do anything. Like you, there's no emotional appeal. You're just going to have to repeat either the, the sixties, seventies, eighties, and nineties again, I guess. Uh, but that I, I feel bad. I feel bad for, for people growing up today because they're not going to have any, like of these, these kind of cultural memes that they could pull upon. Um, I mean, if anything, I don't know, maybe they'll just look back at this, like some kind of weird technological dark age and not that in, we're not technologically advancing, but that technology is making everything very mundane. And I think it is Facebook's killing the world and it's killing all of culture and art and style among other things, not just Facebook, you know, count all the tech giants, (laughs) Twitter, I don't know, Amazon, whoever. So, um, Okay. 
yeah, yeah. So, so the very '80s styles. I, I was annoyed because I know what they're doing. I know why they're doing that. It's not like they really give a shit about the '80s or that they want to like try and appeal and bring back uh, kind of the, the, what I think was very positive things going on in the '80s. Uh, but whatever. So that's there. Um, Thor was good. You know, Chris Hemsworth, I mean, you know, he's, he's a fine actor. Like all, all of that was cool. Uh, Bruce Banner, you know, Hulk that, that worked, um, the character of Valkyrie apparently. So now the character of Valkyrie, which she's the other, um, as guardian that, uh, that Thor, you know, meets on, uh, you know, on, on the, well, it's not a junk planet, but you know, the junk planet, right. Um, she, and in the comic books, and her name, like she's, he says she's one of the Valkyries of Asgard, you know, which was like this ancient female elite soldier order. Um, in the comic book, she's just Valkyrie. Like that's just her character that that's what they call her. Uh, not to say that her origin story isn't similar, but anyway, um, she is bisexual and that that's been well-established for a long time in, uh, Marvel comics. Again, I don't expect fidelity out of these films, but I, it's really sad that they had the opportunity to fully show. And apparently they even filmed a scene where they showed her with a female lover and everything. And they, they didn't, they didn't let it ride. Um, they say there, and, and I saw what they meant. There's one scene where, uh, you know, where Valkyrie is seeing, um, she's seeing one of her female compatriots die. And the actress said pretty much, well, in my mind, that's her lover. And then, you know, that's there, but that's not very, that's not even implicit, really. It's, it's just not, it's not like, I mean, th yeah, there's been times in genre fiction since the nineties where characters have very much hinted that they were bisexual or lesbian or something like that. Uh, but usually you got at least something implicit, if not explicit, even, uh, well, at least a statement. You got none of that in this. So I think it's even, I respect what they're saying. And I love the fact that Valkyrie is a bisexual character, but it wasn't, it wasn't in the film. Nobody got that unless they look deeper. I mean, nobody fucking got that. And that, and that sucks. And that's kind of weird. Even like supposedly Disney is pushing the gay agenda. Well, I guess they dropped the fucking ball on Thor Ragnarok when they had a wide open chance uh, to do it. What the hell's with this? Hmm. I don't know. Not going to get conspiratorial or anything, but I guess Disney isn't so much about it. Maybe they're just about money. Hmm? Uh, so anyway, um, yeah, that, that, that felt like a drop ball. Cause I was really excited when they said Valkyrie was going to be a character in the film. I was like, Oh cool. We're going to have a bisexual. Nope. You, you get zero hints of that. If you're not a comic book fan, you have no idea. Uh, so, uh, the character of Hela was awesome. That, that was, that, that delivered, um, like had an awesome look, awesome presentation, awesome power. However, once again, not necessarily a ton of backstory, a little bit better than maybe some of the villains that we've gotten over time, but not enough. In fact, isn't it kind of funny that any villain that actually, that does get kind of developed like Loki, they turn into a good guy, which is effectively what happened in this. Um, I thought that was annoying. That's getting overplayed just because, just because Hiddles, you know, Tom Hiddleston, just because, you know, all the gals go nuts about him and that's fine. Uh, you know, you, you can't let him stay a villain. You can't have a sexy villain. Uh, it's just, there's, there's so many things that just seem so weird. Like that there's some kind of, I, I really feel like it. There's some kind of weird and it's not what like Alex Jones conspiratards or sorry, I shouldn't say that, uh, conspiracy theorists or whatever. It's, it's nothing with that they're thinking. Okay. But there are some odd, like, like cultural rules 
that Hollywood seems to have that they, that they, they just have to I don't know, like, like the, the notion of uniting, like we must unite. We all have to unite like that. That is the worst cultural message to ever st- you know, send out there. No, you don't want to unite, you know, united, you fall divided. That's when you stand because you're an individual and you can develop yourself. Uh, I, I mean, it's, it's terrible, but every fucking movie is, yeah, we, as long as we all work together. No, no, no. As long as we all work individually by nature, you will end up kind of helping each other out just, just through your own, uh, uh, you know, self enlightened self-interest, but you're never going to get that in a movie, at least not a modern one. So that was, that was very weird. Uh, well, what, I, all right, I, I got kind of lost in the weeds on that. Um, one thing that was great in this was the music. The music was really, I mean, and it was kind of 80s. There was some synth wave and all that in there, which synth wave is kind of faux 80s music, but it works, you know, like it's cool. And uh, so I thought the music really delivered in this. I was very impressed by that. Uh, Marvel can keep that coming. Um, the use of, or they using Led Zeppelin or whatever, you know, all, all that kind of worked and that's fine. Um, the story overall, fine story. You know, I, I like that. The idea, in fact, actually the, one of the overall messages of like that, you don't want to stop Ragnarok. You just need to get it going and, and then you can kind of restart. Uh, I thought that that was, you know, that, that was kind of cool. Um, there was, you know, what was funny, there was the character, the, the rock figure that, that Thor meets, you know, that's also a gladiator that wants to, that keep, it's really soft, you know, soft spoken and wants to keep starting a, a revolution. That guy was hilarious. I mean, that was so that that was damn funny. Uh, but again, they you know they didn't they 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 hit some highs. They just never went for the lows, and they should have gone for some of the lows. Should have gone for some of the sadness, and it uh, and it really you know it didn't happen um, there. So Thor, better movie than Justice League, uh, but also not great. Like not not close to great. Not it's it's no Iron Man. It's not Iron Man one or two. Um, it's no X Men. Um, it's no it's sure as fuck. No Superman 78 Superman. Uh, it's no, you know, eight eighties, Batman nineties, Batman. Well, not nineties, Batman. It's, you know, it's no dark Knight. No Batman begins. I mean, it's, it's not, not remotely in the league of, of those films. Uh, but it was pretty, it, what was one of the best parts of it, frankly. And this is part, I mean, I guess this is the fortunes of Marvel having again, this like decade long, um, you know, universe that they get to play within with a cinematic universe that they get to play within. When they brought on Dr. Strange in the film, that was, that was great. Like that was engaging cinema. Uh, you know, and then, like I said, Dr. Strange was actually a, a pretty good movie, um, so way better than Thor Ragnarok, certainly. Uh, so that was interesting, you know, bringing in that character really made for something. I mean, it, and I feel like to some degree, it's getting to the point with Marvel films where can you really say that it's a Thor film? Can you really say it's a Captain America film? I mean, cause you're just bringing in every fucking character, you know, <laughs> like, just call it Marvel Ragnarok. I, I, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's getting kind of confusing in that way. And you're not really allowing, eventually that's going to be a problem because you're not allowing your characters to, uh, develop a little more organically, which is what gives them their longevity, not origin stories, but just them going through their own trials and tribulations that you can draw upon that don't require the interference of, of other characters, which is what made, you know, really watching like an Avengers or, you know, reading like the comic book Avengers, what made that so powerful was you knew how powerful each character was. But if every Marvel movie, you know, when it's supposed to be a singular film like Thor or Captain America or something, if you're just going to bring in every character and pretty much every movie is going to be an Avengers movie, 
then, you know, you don't really get to, you don't get to see these characters develop uh, themselves and they don't get their own trials uh, to where, to where it's more epic when they come together in a full actual full on Avengers film. So, I mean, I, I get it. Marvel is in a very, like the whole Marvel cinematic universe is very unique territory. Like not really nothing like this has ever been done in, in film history. And so they're kind of trailblazing and I get it. They want to play it safe and all this stuff, but they're, they're hurting themselves, I think, by playing it too safe. And I think they have really, I, I I think they've got a big enough brand going that they could experiment quite a bit. Like, I think they took some risks with Dr. Strange and it paid off. They need to be taking a few more risks. Uh, we'll see. Maybe Black Panther will be a big risk, a uh, big risk uh, in, in the vein of like Dr. Strange, which that, I mean, it wasn't a big risk. It was just so visually different. Um, we'll see. You know, so, but I, I don't have a whole lot of hope for the Marvel universe. Uh, frankly, I saw the trailer for the new Avengers film for Infinity War. Uh, it looked boring. It, it actually, frankly, it looked like shit. Uh, Thanos particularly looked like shit. Uh, I was, I was not impressed whatsoever by, uh, you know, by the new Avengers, um, uh, trailer. So I'm not looking forward to that movie at all, but I'll definitely, you know, I, I am looking forward to Black Panther. So Thor Ragnarok. I mean, there's nothing like, there's nothing to really critique. There's not, there's not anything like terribly bad, but it's just not great. Like it was, it's just, it's just mediocre, you know? And, and that's, that's a problem. And frankly, it becomes all the more mediocre when shined on the light, uh, or when, when the light of the 1978 Superman shines on it, because it's like, oh, holy shit. Now that's a great movie. I mean, it's almost it, like you could almost claim it's unfair to compare these movies to something with people with real talent, you know, like Christopher Reeve, uh, like the director, Richard Donner, like the composer, John Williams, you know, when you have that much talent involved, it, uh, you know, I mean, you got Gene Hackman, right? <laughs> Terrence Stamp, you know, go down the list. And like I said, Margot Kidder, she's a great actress. I don't like her Lois, but she's a great actress. Uh, you know, I mean, and you got Perry White. Holy shit. I mean, when you've got that kind of action, you know, it is, it's unfair because you can't like, there are so few decks ever stacked like that in our lifetimes. Whew. <laughs> so, so anyway, let's talk about the 78 Superman, uh, particularly the three hour or four hour, however you want to look at it, extended edition of the film. So now when, when Superman first aired on ABC, this was a very, very unique, not to say this is the only time that this has happened. Uh, in fact, ABC was doing this. So ABC, I, I want to say it was like Saturday night movies they used to have throughout the eighties and all that. Um, I remember it kind of well, because actually that was the first time an ABC Saturday night movie was the first time I saw Star Trek, the motion picture as a barely conscious little boy. Uh, and that forever changed my life seeing that film, um, and recording it on VHS. Woo. Uh, but ABC had done this kind of thing before. In fact, uh, the, like the, speaking of Star Trek, uh, the wrath of Khan, Star Trek II: the wrath of Khan, the director's cut of that is largely what was, is comprised of a lot of extended scenes that were only seen on the ABC aired version of Star Trek II: the wrath of Khan back in the early eighties. Okay. When it first came to television. So this was a way to like hook you into, okay, no, you want to see it. Yeah. You saw it in theaters, but even if you saw it in theaters, you want to watch it on ABC on Saturday night because we've got extended cuts of the films. I mean, and it's a good idea. Like, I, I mean, it, it's a brilliant marketing move. Okay. Uh, and so they, they had done this with a few films, but with Superman, it was particularly special because when ABC finally aired it, they, they made it a two night event because this was so long. 
Like so this is at least three, it's like three hours, eight minutes uh, in total. Okay. And so it was so long that they made it into a two night event. Now I've had for years, I've had a, uh, a VHS rip of, as in it's a digital file from a VHS copy rip of, um, the, the three hour cut from ABC. Now here's the thing. This is, it, it is such shitty quality. I've watched it, but I mean, you could barely say that you've watched it, you know, because the quality is so rough because even at the time, you know, VHS, I mean, like the, or the, the television transmission that you were getting, you were lucky, you know, if you're even getting anything like you, I mean, you certainly weren't getting 480p. I mean, you're, you know, it's really low quality. So to say nothing of the fact that it's a VHS, obviously with age, but then also the transmission quality sucked ass at the time. You know, I mean, TV wasn't always this, you know, high def spectacle that it is today. So I might as well have never seen it. And that's why I was so excited when they announced that, Hey, we're going to release the, the ABC extended edition of the 78 Superman, you know, on Blu-ray. I was like, Oh, you know, wow, this is going to be, you know, full on. And it's just 1080 P. I mean, I don't even know how the fuck, how are you going to get that into 4k? <laughs> but, uh, anyway, it's, uh, so this is very exciting. I watched it. Um, now granted, you know, the, the way I've watched that movie the most is actually as a special edition anyway, because Richard Donner back in, I think when the DVD came out, he added in, he did a little bit of a director's cut, um, where he added in, there's a very powerful scene. And this also, all of these are in the extended edition as well. Um, he did, a, there's a very powerful scene where Superman is talking to his father, talking to not, you know, not, uh, uh, you know, not Jonathan Kent, but actually Jarrell where he's talking to Jarrell and Jarrell's explaining to him why he needs to have an alter ego, why he needs to have Clark Kent. He said, because your enemies will find out pretty quickly. They can't hurt you, but they can hurt the people you care about. So you need an, you need an alter ego that can care about people, you know, that can have relationships and all that stuff. Um, and I mean, there's, and, and look, that is such a solid point. Like I have to, well, in ways there's ways I have to deal with that very same thing in my life. Uh, I'm not saying I'm Superman far from, so d despite what, <laughs> what some young kids would say, uh, but any, <laughs> I love you. Uh, anyway, so, uh, you know, like I, I know that scene and, but I knew even when I watched that on the DVD, you know, years ago, we're talking like 2001, even when I saw that on the DVD, I knew that that was like, wait a minute. Like that scene wasn't originally there because I, I had watched the movie Superman, you know, still so many times, like on VHS or whatever. Uh, but definitely the way I know it best is that's as the DVD movie. I mean, this is a film that I have watched countless times, literal countless times, easily in my top five movies. I've watched the most in history, you know, right up there with, you know, aspects of star Wars, um, gladiator and Dune you know, uh, you know, in, in movies like this, I mean, it's, it's that big of a deal to me. Uh, and, and I, I, like I said, it's the greatest comic book movie ever made. It blows away any of the Batman films by, you know, by leaps and bounds. Uh, it, it's just tremendous. So anyway, um, yeah, so I, I've already seen like some extended stuff and like, there's the scene also where, uh, where Superman towards the end, where he's going to, uh, you know, going to find Lex Luthor after he, uh, well, not, just before he has to go after the missiles that Luther is launching off. And in that, like, there's a point where, where Luther shoots like bullets at him and everything and like flamethrowers and all this stuff. Uh, like that scene was part of the, the director's cut that came out beforehand, not the extended edition. Uh, though even in the extended edition, that scene where, where he's going to, where Superman is going to Luther's lair, underground lair, 
they did add in stuff like there's like a freezing room in this one. And I'm, I'm amazed. Like a lot of the scenes within this extended edition, again, understand this is adding on about 40 minutes to the, to the film itself. And that's a lot, 40 minutes. I mean, that's a whole other movie, <laughs> you know, in, in a very real sense. Um, a lot of the scenes within the 78 Superman extended edition that were added, most of it, it feels like are just expansions upon scenes that were already there. Uh, and there's a lot more comedy. I mean, look, this, this is already a hilarious film. Like I think, I think the 78 Superman is as far as comedy is on the, is very much, and people can argue with me, with, with me if you want about this, but I'm dead serious. It's very much on par with like Ghostbusters level comedy. Like some of the lines in it and the puns are so funny. You've got to catch them though. You got to be smart. You know, you got to be able to hear them and like, and what's going on. Uh, I mean, like what I think it's one of the funniest lines in cinematic history when Perry white is, you know, when they when Superman kind of first comes onto the scene in Metropolis and Perry white says like whatever reporter, gets this interview with this guy. This will be the biggest interview since and he puts a cigar in his mouth. And he goes, since God talked to Moses, <laughs> and the way he delivers it. It's so goddamn funny. <laughs> it's, it's perfect. So I mean, like it is such a funny film. You know, I mean, there's so many, so many puns and they still hold up. Like, like it's, it's such perfect comedy that even if you, you know, don't never lived in the world, you know, which is 1978 that is on display in, in the movie, you get it because it just, it's just perfect. You know, everybody just, I mean, it was total a triple a plus game. Uh, it's, it's crazy. So a lot of the scenes are expansions upon scenes that are already there. Uh, for example, um, well, there's two examples I want to give, but for one of the largest, one of the parts where a lot of scenes are added in are, um, where they are going to reprogram one of the missiles and they have to stop them, you know, the army, the U S army on the highway and miss Tessmacher, you know, is in her, whatever red dress, you know, her kind of her Marilyn Monroe get up and everything. There is like a whole, like now that's a whole scene where you get, you see the, the, the army, whatever the general or something making out with her, you know, you see her kind of running out in heels. You see the car, driving itself you get it i mean it seemed pretty clear that the car was remote controlled anyway but now you really get it like there's a very much extended scene where otis is actually driving the car with the remote and everything uh th there's just a ton more there uh and a lot more a lot more with miss tessmacher in that red dress and whoo uh so you know that, that was interesting and then maybe the other part where there's a lot added in is well i guess there's a couple more parts so the other part where a lot is added in is in uh, is on krypton now, some of these scenes I had seen in a more well-defined than my VHS rip, a more well-defined version on like the special edition DVD uh, from years ago, where they talked about how that, you know, they had all these different scenes that were there and you could see some of these deleted scenes, but now they're, you know, fully integrated into the film, but there's a ton on Krypton. Like the destruction of Krypton is probably another 10 minutes. Like, I mean, they, there's a lot added there. There's a lot more of what's going on, a lot more explanation, what's happening on Krypton, um, I mean, really fascinating too. And, and that's, you know, one of the powers or one of the greatest things about that film and look, it's an origin story, but it's so well done. It doesn't matter, which I mean, cause origin stories can be done, right? Like Batman begins great origin story. In my opinion, I, I think that's a rock solid film, uh, but you got to do it right. You got to have that level of epicness to the origin. It can't just be that humble and it can't get much bigger than being an alien from another planet, I guess. But um, yeah, cause man of steel was an origin story too. 
But that delivered again because Krypton was such an epic scene, you know, in, in Man of Steel with, uh, uh, you know, running around with, uh, with, with Jarrell. And I mean, when, when you have an actor like Russell Crowe, you know, delivering, I mean, shit, <laughs> you know, it was Jarrell. Like that worked just like in 78 when you got Marlon Brando, who credit to him because supposedly he was reading those lines. Like they were holding up cards for him to read. He didn't learn any of his lines for that film, but somehow he just delivers this really uh, epic and kind of pensive, like, uh, uh, character with Jarrell. It just worked. So, uh, having like all of the, all the more of what's happening on Krypton just, just brings the, the film to another level. I really love the extended edition, the comedy almost, get, there's one more scene I want to talk about, but the comedy almost gets too much. Like it, it's just, it, it's almost at that bar where I can see why they cut out a lot because the film almost got too funny. I mean, it, it, it never, never goes too far, but it gets damn close to going too far. So if I, like, if I were to have somebody watch Superman, uh, you know, the 78 Superman, I'd probably have them watch the, uh, the director or the special edition the you know, kind of the director's cut from Richard Donner. Uh, I, I don't know that I'd have them watch if they love that, then, then they could watch the three hour version. Um, because the three hour version almost does too much. Uh, there's a lot of extended stuff with. There's a, interestingly, there's a lot of scenes ripping on the government and kind of corporatism. I'm dead serious. It, it really does. Uh, you have to see it to believe it. Uh, it. Like there's a ton of extended scenes with all of the control teams and fire teams involved with the missiles, you know, that are launching them and everything. I mean, and there's just tons of jokes, like, cause one of the missiles is supposed to go to New Jersey and like one of the guys, one of the, you know, one of the military guys involved with the missile launch says, what's in New Jersey, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, like there's, there's a, there's just a ton of these little jokes. Uh, and I mean, and they go, the jokes are, you know, mile a minute. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible how, the rapid pace at which they come out. Uh, but it, it's almost a little too much. Uh, there's some scenes that are complete, almost completely new. Like I said, there's the freezing scene where Lex Luthor tries to freeze Superman and he breaks out of it. I was impressed with that, that what I was impressed by was that that wasn't in the film at all originally, or even in the director's cut, because the effect looks okay. I mean, you can kind of tell that it's not snow or ice that they're dealing with there, but the effect looks okay. That could not have been a cheap scene. And so to completely cut out a scene that had such heavy use of practical effects, I'm kind of amazed that it wasn't put in, you know, uh, I was, but it, it looks good. I'm glad it's, it's in it now. Um, the other scene is at the very end, this is another one that's like a completely new scene at the very end before. So the movie ends with Superman, uh, taking, taking Otis and Lex Luthor to, you know, to prison. Okay. And then he flies off, you know, uh, in this one, you get to see after he leaves Lois, after he saves Lois, after that incredibly powerful, uh, scene where, you know, he has the earth spin the other way and turns back time and all that. Uh, he, he actually goes to Luther's lair and they're all there. And Otis Luther is telling Otis to feed it. Like there's this other expanded scene where, where, or where Lex Luther has these babies, not children, but like, I, I don't know, some kind of animals that are behind some wall or something. And you get some explanations of that throughout. You never really see what they look like, but they're obviously some kind of wild animal that'll eat like this. Like when you, when you first hear about him and, and Luther earlier in the film is telling Otis, go feed the babies. And he doesn't want to, he's like scared to, uh, you know, like he lowers down pretty much an entire, you know, carcass of a cow. And at the end of the movie, Luther's back at his, at his lair with Otis and they're lowering Miss Tessmacher. 
into, you know, to these babies, you know, to these wild animals, whatever they are. And Superman swoops in, saves Miss Tessmacher. And then obviously, you know, the film ends as it usually does. And, and he takes, um, takes Otis and Lex Luthor to, to prison. But I mean, that's a full on new scene that you get with Miss Tessmacher there. Uh, not, not, I liked it. I mean, I, I thought that that worked. Um, so yeah, a ton, just a, a, a lot of comedy added, a lot of little scenes here and there, a lot of, a lot of extrapolations, um, on various things uh, that, that I thought were really interesting. All the added stuff on Krypton is very strange, strange in the way that science fiction used to be strange when it couldn't rely on CGI to explain everything and to, to, you know, put everything on display where you had to kind of like hint at things and make things look advanced in a weird way to make it look advanced. Um, you, you get that. I mean, like there, there's some strange stuff. If you watch it, you'll see what I mean. You really can't explain it. Uh, but, it, but that's cool. Like I, I thought that that, that delivered, um, amazingly John Williams must've composed a ton of this. I mean, I have the two discs, like there was a 20th anniversary, uh, edition that Varese Saraband came out with of the, of the soundtrack. And I think there might've been like three or four bonus tracks on there that were like, you know, either not used or extended or something like that. Uh, but I'm amazed with 40 minutes that there was 40 minutes, pretty much of music that we've never heard from John Williams. Uh, and, and that was, that was interesting. There were a couple of shots where they, they recycled, I think they recycled shots of, and again, understand this was done way back in the eighties. This was done on ABC. It's not like something they did today. Uh, but there were recycled shots of, uh, special effects shots of Superman flying that were very obvious, uh, recycled shots, but only a couple of those, which that's impressive. I mean, like the four hour version of Dune, the Alan Smithy version of Dune, there's tons of recycled effect shots or where they reversed the way that, that something was like a ship was flying in or something. So not that that's uncommon, obviously Battlestar Galactica, the real Battlestar Galactica from 1978, uh, boy, what a year, huh? Galactica and Superman, two of the best things ever made, uh, <laughs> And when they're modern incarnations, not so much, uh, but it, um, yeah, I mean, that's okay. I didn't mind. I, I could tell that they were recycled because I know the movie so well, I could instantly recognize them, but it, it, it wasn't bad. Like, like, I mean, it, it didn't really take away. It didn't pull you out of what was, uh, what was going on, um, at all. There was there, one of the nice, nicer, also another nice expanded scene is when he, when Superman is going after the missiles, there's a lot more expanded upon, like the reason that, because, because again, the plan is to blow up, you know, is to send California into the sea to, to, to have a missile go into the San Andreas fault and, and cause a massive earthquake that, that sinks California. So you find out why Jimmy Olsen and Lois Lane are out West when you know that Metropolis is pretty much New York city, right? Pretty much in, you know, at least in that movie. Uh, and you can tell that because there's trains going to Buffalo and Rochester and Syracuse, you know, so obviously Metropolis is, is in New York. Um, even though in like other, like Smallville and some other Superman incarnations, it must be in Kansas, but not, not so, uh, anyway, so or at least not, not in this film. Um, so the, the missile when it's the, yeah, the reason that Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen are out West, you get a little hint of it, a hint of it in, um, in the original where Lois Lane is driving around with a native American guy and interviewing him. And Lex Luthor's buying all this land from this native American guy that gets expanded upon a lot, uh, as to what's going on as far as like all the land out there and everything. Like, again, this is part of that anti-corporist or that, that anti-corporatist and anti-government message that goes on where the native American guys complaining a lot about various things going on and like, you know, how, oh, they took all the water from us, blah, blah, blah. And 
when Superman is saving the world, you know, from these missiles, you, you know, you find out that like water gets returned to these Native Americans because of what happens with the missiles. And Superman kind of looks on approvingly to it. And then he goes back to Lois. Pretty much the point I'm making is that you find out there was a whole lot more that Superman had to do before he could get to Lois. And so it, it sort of makes a little more sense now. Like, why was Superman so late? What was he doing? Blah, blah, blah. And, and you, you kind of find out that he was really doing a whole hell of a lot, uh, you know, while, while dealing with the, the aftermath of, you know, of these missiles. Um, so, you know, that, that kind of worked. That was okay. So, I, you know, overall... With this, with the 78 Superman special edition, I can see, or, or I'm sorry, the extended edition. I can see why a lot of these scenes were removed. There's some like the, uh, the scene where, where Jarrell is, is telling Superman why he needs an alter, alter ego. Those are incredibly important scenes that obviously Richard Donner re-included as soon as he could, uh, officially. Uh, but a lot of this other stuff, I can see why Richard Donner didn't put it back in. Like, I, I totally understand why it doesn't necessarily add anything to it. Some of them add a little bit to it. Uh, certainly, you know, some extra scenes of Miss Tessmacher. That, that's all right. <laughs> and you know why. Uh, but, uh, you know, some of the other stuff, I mean, it, like, it's just, it, I don't know. It, like, a lot of it, some of it's very funny. I mean, it's, it's, it's like laugh out loud funny. But you didn't need it because the movie was already laugh out loud funny. And then, like I said earlier, how, how you know, a great movie needs to explore the entirety of the human condition, you know, the full emotional spectrum doesn't always have to, it, it, you know, it could be a movie where that's, it's the point to not be. Uh, but this is one where they do it all. And, um, I don't think any of the, any of the scenes really add so much to the, the emotional punch and sadness of what happens. Like there's a lot more that happens in Smallville, but it doesn't nothing that directly adds any more like real emotion to when Jonathan Kent dies, which is so sad, you know, and, and Clark gives that great line where he says, you know, I have all these powers and I couldn't even save them. I mean, like that just wrenches your heart. And then at the end, you know, when Lois before Superman turns back time, uh, you know, when Lois dies, I mean, that that's that's one of the most tear jerking moments in cinematic history, in my opinion, especially like when she just kind of like falls back limp. And Christopher Reeve in all of his brilliant acting just goes, Oh, you know, like, like, I mean, like she's the most gentle flower. Oh man. I, I have goosebumps right now. Just, just thinking about it. That, that scene catches me every time. It just gets me every time. So the, you know, the movie has it all and, and it just shows, you know, you can have all that comedy. You can have the funnest, the funniest lines, but you can still have the incredible sadness. If you do it right, if you've got the right writing team, you got the right actors, you've got, um, you know, you got the sure as fuck got the right musician when you got John Williams. Uh, you know, when, when you have that total package, you can make it happen. And sadly, it's like most movies can't get that total package together. You know, I mean, Iron Man did it. You know, Iron Man was, was pretty damn close. Wonder Woman did it. Wonder Woman pulled it together. You know, that, that was where you had, had a real like entire package and obviously great, you know, great acting. Um, I mean, you had Chris Pine, Gal Gadot, you know, was, was, uh, phenomenal. And, um, I mean, just, just everybody there, you know, Connie Nielsen, uh, I mean, all of them, <laughs> you know, when, when, when you've got the, all those pieces together and that's another one where, you know, you had tremendous sad, I mean, you know, you had your sad moments in one woman, you had your powerful moments. You know I mean? When Steve, you know, when Steve Trevor dies, that hits, 
that's what I mean. You can do it. You can have, you can, and, and, and there's plenty of points where it's, you know, where Wonder Woman was laugh out loud hilarious. I mean, like when they're talking about like all the books on pleasure and when she cracks the joke that, that men are super, you know, superfluous. Like, I mean, there's just, it's, it's so, I like, there's, there's great stuff that goes on in that. So, I mean, movie, you know, comic book movies can, can achieve that level. So few of them do. Justice League did not do it. Uh, Thor Ragnarok did not do it and it tried. I, I I'll admit it. It tried, but it didn't hit, you know, it, it just, it just didn't hit the same and it relied way too much. I think I kind of feel like, I mean, it's a strength to have that cinematic universe, but then at the same time, when you rely too much on the broader picture, I think it hurts it. Uh, and also, you know, yeah, I'll tell you something else where Thor Ragnarok dropped the ball in the end credit scenes. Like there's the, the end credit scene where there's two of them. There was two of them in justice league as well. But in the end credit scene where you, you saw that big ship, uh, appear at the end, that was obviously Thanos's ship. Uh, most people aren't going to know that, you know, <laughs> like you, you should have given a little bit more. I, I, I thought that that was, that was kind of a weekend credit scene, uh, as to where, you know, they, they've done pretty good end cred, credit scenes in the past. I didn't think that hit, uh, 78 Superman doesn't need an end credit scene. You know, I mean, just when you're such a, when it's such a phenomenal film, you know, there, uh, there it is. But, uh, yeah. So anyway, I've been talking for a while (laughs) about all these films. This could end up being the longest episode of sovereign tech history or the longest episode in sovereign tech history again. Uh, but whoo, baby, um, you know, stuff we had to get out there. Uh, so yeah, if you want to, you know, check out, you can see those movies. I, I don't think that they're really worth their salt unless you really want to watch Wonder Woman. You know, if, if you're a huge Wonder Woman fan like myself, then yeah, you, you know, you want to see Justice League, just see Gal Gadot in action. Otherwise, I, they're both passable. But seeing the extended edition of Superman, it like I said, it doesn't add like everything. You know, it doesn't add that much. It doesn't make it that greater of a film. But if you're already a huge fan of the 78 Superman, uh, it's definitely very interesting to watch. And it gives you, it kind of enlightens you on some things. And, and there's definitely a lot more comedy added in and some other enjoyable things. Uh, but if you've never seen the 78 Superman, I highly recommend just watching the, the special edition, which is usually how you, you know, that's pretty much the only version that's out there these days. Uh, so, you know, do catch that. And then the extended edition, if you end up loving that, you, you could, uh, you could watch that. Okay. I have been talking all night long, baby. So I'm going to wrap this up. <laughs> Woo. I will see you on the other side. And hey, if you want to get more great content like this, of course, become a patron, SovereignTech.com. I'll see you on the other side. Oh man, we got some great stuff coming up in the next couple weeks, baby. Woo! You just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com, that's S-O-V-R-Y-N Tech.com, and connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the Evolution. Evolution.